Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. The play we, we've run quite a bit before, um, it's got multiple options in it, so there's three or four different options. Um, we had time for a, a quick two. Uh, we're down three, but 15 seconds, and we had another timeout left. Uh, in our pockets, so um, so play that, or you can get a quick two, or maybe a three if it's open. We just didn't execute. They played good defense too. Tonight, I've been telling him, I said, Lonnie, stay ready. We're gonna need you at some point. And for him to be as young as he is, for him to have that that professionalism, come out, stay ready when his number is called. We don't win this game without Lonnie Walker tonight. That's for sure. Absolute insanity last night. You can say what you will, right? I'll hear the arguments. NHL playoffs always deliver. I get it. Playoffs in general usually always deliver in some form or another. But last night, Lakers-Warriors, and we have plenty of, just on the front end of this, plenty of Colts to dive into. The as a tweet from Andrew Siliano regarding strength of schedules around the league of NFL Network that I want to get into as well today. So there'll be cl- plenty of Colts mixed in here, but we start with last night's NBA playoffs. Jimmy Cook, James Boyd here on the Fan Midday Show. Eddie Garrison with us as well. We talked about it, and I don't still I still agree with our point because by and large it is how NBA playoff series are won and dominated. It's by star power. That's where you usually get the biggest weight carried. But also we talked about role players and role players in particular, stepping up at home. Even with all of that prefaced yesterday, on the bingo card, nowhere near it was Lonnie Walker, let alone 15 points in the fourth quarter, going tit for tat with Steph Curry in what was just a back-and-forth, very flavorful fourth that saw the Lakers take a 3-1 series lead as things shift to the Bay in Game 5. James... A lot to take in from last night, but playoff moments are made by a wide variety of different players. Sure, the Stars will carry the day, but it was Lonnie Walker's evening last night. Yes, Lonnie Walker the fourth, well-known superstar in the NBA. Um, joking, of course, but <laughs> I mean, he played fantastic. I thought that it was one of those games where it really hurts you if you're Golden State because Lonnie Walker probably won't have a performance that well again. And Steph Curry did everything right except for really shoot the three ball yesterday. But you were right there at the end and let it slip away. And now the Lakers are in a position to obviously send you home and they have you in their stranglehold. And it just felt like the gut punch of all gut punches because Steph, again, played so well, gave them a chance. Klay Thompson really struggled yesterday. It took some Bad shots, in my opinion. The two deep threes. Um, one was deep. The other one was rushed. But it was like back-to-back possessions where I was just thinking, what are you doing? Like, you're off tonight. Why are you shooting? I get it. He's confident. But it felt like he was pressing. Mm-hmm. And then you saw the defense by Anthony Davis on Stephen Curry where you're just praying the guy misses pretty much. I mean, it was great defense, but the first shot rimmed out. You're like, wow. You're you know, unkind. Get the rebound. Kick it back out. But the second one was a bad shot. I think she should have drove on Anthony Davis Taking a 35 contested, you know, three, 35 foot contested three was really ill advised. But those are the breaks in the NBA sometimes and really any playoff sport. And it feels like, you know, the Warriors are on their heels. But as I've tweeted several times before, 
The Warriors, any championship-level team, they're not dead until they're dead, until you see the body. So there's a chance they can come back. I'm not ruling it out, but um, I would be shocked if the Lakers don't close this out, um, having three straight chances to do so. I had shades of, and this is recent shades. I'm sure there's historical ones that would you know make more sense, too. I had shades of Kevin Love isolation with mm-hmm. Steph Curry uh, in the 2016 Finals late in that Game seven, where or actually in game six, and then respectively in game seven, where he needed to step up and get a defensive stand, and it's him on an island. Same thing with Anthony Davis there. Like you said, there's only so much you can do as a big man because you know you're just a hesitation and a step back away from all of a sudden the gap being 10 feet, and that's yeah. enough for Steph. So you survived a lot there. The only real negative I have in this game on the Lakers side of things, outside of whether he's hurt, whether he's not. LeBron is still very much struggling in terms of his ability as a jump shooter. Eddie mentioned that in the chat last night. We all kind of acknowledge that. Not to say he can't get buckets. Still able to do it. Had arguably his best offensive performance of this series, putting in 27 last night. But the narrative nationally today, and this is what happens across the board. It doesn't matter if we're local, covering the Colts and the Pacers, or if we're at the national level. The narrative if the Lakers lose that game is Anthony Davis had 21 and a half and he had three points in the second half. Now, whether you want to blame that exclusively on the Lakers not going to him is fine. I would also argue that, well, you know, you can call for the ball. You're a big boy. Go up, post up. It was clearly, clearly on purpose what he was doing from a spacing perspective, staying in the corner, staying in the corner either side respectively to try to give lanes for you know guards to get to the rim and have more spacing in general on the offensive end. But narratives don't care about that. And that's where things shift if Steph's triple-double is not wasted in such a fashion and it's and again another just bizarre world that we live in and this just back end of superstars career sometimes you defer to the hot hand more often than not it's not it was austin reeves in the Grizzlies series it's not lebron or anthony davis in the fourth quarter going to go get you buckets it's you know what lottie walker we want you to go isolation and go get yourself a basket yeah i think one of the coolest things about the lakers throughout this postseason run is that they really trust each other you know, how many teams would continue to defer to an Austin Reeves in the Memphis series, to Lonnie Walker in that game last yep. night when you have two big dogs on your team? And to your point, LeBron's jumper is broken. <laughs> I, I, he needs to stop shooting threes altogether, as Eddie suggested um, last night more than once. Um, and he's absolutely <laughs> right because, I mean, he, he'll hit a few early, it seems like, and then just settle. But again, the, the narratives don't care. The uh, talking heads like us, I guess, don't care because it's all about wins and losses. And, you know, LeBron took a bad three down the stretch, mm-hmm. but it just didn't cost you because you won the game. And so um, I felt like we're seeing potentially the end of this particular dynasty, um, which has been incredible. I mean, they're, they've been a championship level team for so long. And the only one, in my opinion, who's still at that level is Steph. Yeah. Clay slipped because of the injuries in large part. Draymond has slipped. Um, I thought that his turnover late was really bad. I get it. It was like a hammer you know, play where you set the screen and kick it to the corner, but everyone in the world kind of read that play and knew that that was going to happen, and it felt like you know, once he jumped in the air, you got nothing to do but shoot it or pass it and just pass it to the wrong team. So um, tough break. And then even when Steph won the jump ball, which was kind of crazy, like you don't expect him to come up with it after – you know, being in the fray, he catches it, you have a timeout, he just tosses it out of bounds. He panicked. And so these are issues and characteristics I'm just not used to seeing from the Warriors. And overall, I think 
the biggest theme that's maybe carried over throughout their run to now is usually when they are not good is when they beat themselves. They kept turning the ball over, taking ill-advised shots. You wonder, like, if you just had a little bit more poise, what you would expect from a team mm-hmm. that's been in so many finals and so many playoff games, um, but it just didn't happen. So we'll see. Like I said, it's exciting to me because I can never count Steph Curry out. I can never count that team out. But at the same time, I'm like, you know, LeBron, to my knowledge, has never blown a 3-1 lead in a, in a, you know, in a series. Right. And so um, I'm sure a lot of Golden State fans would love to get back at him yeah. for how they did it in 2016. Right. But I just don't know if Steph have, has enough help to come along with him. And so we'll see what happens. You know, they're playing every other day. LeBron's going to get some rest. And maybe Lonnie Walker will have some, uh, you know, MJ secret stuff again. But we'll see. This is what the playoffs is about. And um, I thought that uh, – that was one where you either feel really good or really bad because it was that close and, you know, uh, the margin is so slim. When you look at Golden State, like during their heyday when they were consistently competing, they had a big that could stretch the floor. Yeah. Last year, sure, it was Bielitsa, mm-hmm. and like, but still the, that 15 to 20 minutes he played to help space the floor helped him, and that's, I think, in large part why – Steve Kerr went to that smaller lineup because he understands that he needs that spacing, but mm-hmm. then it leaves you so vulnerable in the paint for a team like L.A. where they have A.D. and LeBron, who at you know at their stages of the career, specifically LeBron, he's most effective when he's at inside the paint scoring or, mm-hmm. or somewhere in the mid-range. And Jordan Poole's contract, oh my. That is looking <laughs> so I saw worse that last night. Yeah. and worse and worse every single game. Like, if you're Golden State... You understand that Steph Curry's getting older. Clay Thompson sure is getting older. What? How do you treat this Gordon, the Jordan Poole situation? Because he just looks absolutely awful. Only yeah. got 10 minutes last night, but it was scoreless in that. You saw DiVincenzo eat up a lot of those minutes based on just efficiency alone and his ability to be a better contributor as a role player in that regard. A couple of other mouths bumped Moses out of the rotation. Yes, yeah, Moses Moody as he well. He played the entire fourth quarter, I think, didn't he? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he played well. I think with Jordan... He just plays so erratic. He has all of like the offensive skills to be really good, but his decision making, his confidence looks very shaken, and he's also a complete liability on defense. That's the that's the biggest thing. I can understand if you're off offensively. That happens to a lot of players, and I think we take for granted how efficient LeBron was. Not really this postseason, but throughout his playoff career, Kevin Durant, others, you know, where they get on these, you know, heaters. But it's really hard to be efficient when teams are scouting you and searching for your deficiencies. But with Jordan, it's like, okay, if you're struggling on offense, what are you doing defensively? And he's a matador out there. They just go right around him. And and to me, a lot of it is effort. And we talked about it with Michael Porter Jr. on the Nuggets. It's a similar thing where you wondered like how engaged are you on that side of the ball and how much pride do you take in that side of the ball to still affect the game. Now, I don't know if Jordan Poole can stay out there if he's not scoring, but he definitely can't stay out there if you're not scoring, turning the ball over, and you're not playing defense. Like, it's a net negative all around. And I felt like, you know, Steve Kerr realized that very early and yanked him. And so um, his contract extension doesn't kick in until next year. He'll start making $27 million a year, and it goes up each year after that. But they have some hard things to look at. Whether they come back and win this or not, they have some hard things to look at. Um, And if they don't come back and it goes out pretty sad in five or six games, they have to look at, okay, what is our future? You know, Draymond, I think, will be a free agent. Jordan Poole, like I said, has this huge contract coming up. I mean, how how do you – 
some way, somehow forced that window open for Stephen Curry, who is one of the greatest players of this generation. I'm with you, though, on one thing, and you said it to start the show. I don't believe anything until I see the body. <laughs> there you go. And Gotta kill him. With this going back to the Bay and just the way that the splits have been for the Warriors at, at, at on home and road, mm-hmm. not just in the regular season, but at times during the playoffs, it's hard to fully quantify that in the postseason when you know they had opportunities very much so to steal last night in game four game three you look at it okay there's that home and road split they got blown out they they gave up too many points in transition and all of a sudden the lakers are up by 25 and winning by 30 so right that part makes sense but for a game like that when they're that close eddie mentioned this in the memphis series and i don't know if it's going to really factor in you'll definitely see it i think in game five but nearly the whole game logged by Anthony Davis and LeBron, save handful of minutes here and there. They both played, I think, 43 minutes apiece last night. Does that factor in? I saw it. It, it might have. No, I know who it was. It was, it was Bo Estes on Twitter. Uh, shout out to, to Bo at NBA Bo, uh, voice of NBA.com's top 10. Just joked that I wouldn't even send LeBron and <laughs> Davis to uh, Chase Center, Chase Arena. I wouldn't do it. I'd just keep him in L.A., let him rest an extra day, and then close it out at 6. All jokes aside, though, the narrative is a 3-1. You mentioned a second ago, Warriors fans looking for that ultimate revenge. There it is. Maybe yeah. come back and, and do it here. This is cliche, but but don't get lost in the cliche, and I'm talking more to the audience than, than you or Eddie. You should be able to take care of business at home. Yeah. We're going back to Staples, a.k.a. Crypto.com or whatever it is now. Going back there for, for game six in theory as we're mapping this out. And you were a Lonnie Walker game away from yeah. having a an even series going back home. So this thing is not done. And we're going to talk about that with Matt Moore in the 2 o'clock hour, especially from the betting perspective, because there's interesting juice there if you mm-hmm. are somebody that's looking for a flyer on the Warriors right now. But to the overall point, father time undefeated in that regard these dynasties always age out at some point they're going to get bounced is this the end of golden state's run it's hard to argue that it wouldn't be the last run of this iteration if they get bounced some type of changes or upgrades are going to have to be made whether that is trying to offload jordan Poole, whether that is making changes amongst the the core three of obviously steph's not going anywhere You'd think Clay wouldn't, so I'm obviously referring to Draymond in that regard. Mm-hmm. There's a serious over, overhaul there at that point. You would think if Golden State wants to keep this championship window alive. And bringing that back locally, that's the end point, right? That, that's the part where everybody wants to be. Everybody would oh. love to have those type of luxuries and problems. I don't even mean four championships. Yeah. Let's just say two. Yeah. Two titles in, in, in the span that they've done it would be exceptional for any franchise. Absolutely. It would be otherworldly for a franchise like the Pacers. So that that is the the polar opposites that you see the deeper that you get into these postseason rounds, mm-hmm. even though that these are seeds that are more towards the bottom of the West. They are the franchise faces of that conference. And it, it is, it's the circle of life. Eventually you're going <laughs> to, you're going to see it fade out. The Pacers are very much in that infancy of trying to just get back there, get themselves a lottery ticket to, to build that up. And like we've talked about it over the last couple of weeks, there's a good foundation there right now. What the Pacers are building. I get envious watching playoff basketball, longing for that once again here in this city, but it, it gives you an idea of, okay, that's perfection. How do we sniff even close to that when building a roster? 
Yeah, I thought it was pretty cool. I saw some uh, the Pacers social media account posted that they were a lot of the players were in the gym working out, you know, and that's not something they have to do. And so I think it's very important that Tyrese is – and it started, you know, with Tyrese last summer. And you just saw so many guys still in the gym, still being teammates, still basically having team workouts when they're not mandated by the league or anyone else. And so to see him in the gym, Chris Duarte, Isaiah Jackson, Benedict Matherin, that matters a lot for that core. And I think for them the next step is obviously to draft someone you think can be here for a long time. But – Without the Tyrese Halliburton injury, they're probably, you know, contending for that 10, you know, 10 seed or playing tournament. And I'm not saying put all your eggs in that basket, but I know Tyrese is a competitor. I know he does not want to um, be on the outside looking in too much longer. I think that this is the year where you could probably see them um, contend for a playoff spot. And I'm not saying that will be their ceiling like it was with other teams we've seen since the Paul George era where you just kind of know they'll make the playoffs, but they're never going to like get out of the first round. I think getting to the playoffs next season or at least contending for a play-in spot and having those big pressurized moments will help you as you continue to build out your franchise so you have, you know, some of those experiences, take some of those lumps. Similar to how the Kings did, you know. They took a massive leap forward as a team were they able to get out of the first round? No. Part of that is because, you know, Steph Curry occurred, 50 <laughs> points in game seven. But that experience matters. And, and I think that it can often be looked at as a cliche, but it's true. You don't know how you're going to react. You don't know how to um, deal with those things until they happen to you and until you fail at them um, most often. I know people, you know, at least back from where I'm from in the Chicago area, they talk as if MJ only played six years. And it's yeah. like, no, he was yeah. getting his butt kicked. You know, he scored 63 points in a playoff game and lost. And those are humbling things to go through before you become, you know, a, a championship-level team. And so I think the, the Pacers are in a good spot, a really, really good spot. And um, they have a lot to look forward to, especially if they're able to nail this draft class, which I'm excited about. I haven't dug into it too much, but it is deep. There's a lot of you know talented players out there, and it, the most unique part about it is, perhaps this year more than others, they're coming from like different you know areas. You know, you got Women Yama, who's obviously coming from overseas. Mm-hmm. You got you know uh, pl- players coming out of the G League like Scoot Henderson. You have the 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 Thompson twins who are coming out of the Overtime Elite League. Right. So there's like a lot of different ways, and then you have college players, you know, like Brandon Miller from Alabama and things like that. So. Yeah. I'm like, okay, how do you assess who is really as good as they say and things like that? But again, very deep class, a lot of playmakers, a lot of guys who could help, you know, a bunch of different franchises, but obviously here being an indie, a lot that you want to keep an eye on for the Pacers. We know what's out west. We, we've discussed that a little bit to start the show. And obviously hitting on the Pacers there brings us back to the Eastern Conference. And I guess I'm finally going to ask it since they're up 3-1 and you're, you're trying to map out because – Obviously, I'm referring to Miami and New York. It's yeah. it's crazy the difference in the tone of this 3-1 lead versus L.A.'s. And I get why the Warriors are the Warriors. The Knicks are the Knicks. Steph Curry is not on New York's roster, right? Like, no. there's not there is not a piece like that right now in New York where it's like, hey, but if that guy gets going, maybe they storm back and take it. So it's, it's, an, it's an afterthought right now in the minds of many of where the Knicks are at right now. Maybe they stave off elimination at the Garden and they go back to Miami and... That's curtains, maybe. You're putting Miami, in theory, in the Eastern Conference Finals now, and even though I still think it's probably Boston, 
if it is Philly or even if it is Boston, let's just look at Miami as a whole as a team that, again, is closer, at least in terms of seating and distance in the standings to where the Pacers want to be. Now, I know there's a big caveat here. If Giannis isn't dealing with that injury, if Mike Boonholzer can make any type of adjustments whatsoever, which he's you know, never been able to do, maybe this is a different conversation. You can't bank on dethroning a one seed in the first round of the playoffs as an eight seed, especially when you were a couple breaths away from getting bounced in the play-in tournament anyway. So taking all that into account, though, they've earned their spot. They're a win away on the doorstep of the conference finals. Are, should we really be considering Miami as the Eastern Conference representative for the Larry O'Brien Trophy? I think you have to. And I was off of this because I just thought there's no way they're going to beat Milwaukee. Milwaukee was actually my pick to win it all before the playoff started. When you saw the seating and things like that, sure. I was like, oh, they're going to get there because, in my opinion, they had the best player in the world until Steph Curry reminded me that he is still alive <laughs> and breathing and playing well. But, yeah, I absolutely think that they have a chance. And one thing I want to point out is that everyone always brings up the Giannis injury, but they don't bring up the Tyler Hero injury. Yeah. They're missing – potentially 20 points a game, you know, and one of the best shooters in the league and that spacing, like even if he doesn't score, just having him out there is a threat. And to see them rally around Jimmy Butler, who I have described repeatedly as the bully, the guy who just doesn't care, the party ruiner, the party crasher, to rally around him, they have a chance. And that's all you can ask for if you're that franchise and having went through the season you went through that was so up and down and then Bam's playing a little bit better. And then you just don't want to face a team that's confident, as confident as them. I think that they're very secure in their identity and who they are and that reflects of Jimmy Butler and his presence. I'm a big pun guy. So you, you say the bully that Hemi Butler has always makes me chuckle. I don't know why. It just does. I understand that it's 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 very cringeworthy, but every time I see it on Twitter, it, 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 I mean, it always makes me him. chuckle. I mean, he's him. He is. Exactly. I mean, he had a 56-point playoff game, you know, had a 42-point game to close him out. He's doing whatever he wants this series. He's doing it very efficiently, by the way. He's been the leading scorer in every game he's played in. That guy deserves his yeah. flowers, and if you don't give them to him, He'll just go to your floors and take them. That's how Jimmy <laughs> yes. Butler operates. And I like just how matter of fact he is about all of that. It's so cool. Miami and New York both. And I mentioned this when they advanced into the conference semifinals a couple weeks ago, obviously. Give you hope if you are a team like the Pacers or a team that's toward the bottom tier of the Eastern Conference right now. I use the Pacers for the obvious reasons because they're the local team, but also because they like what they're building right now. Mm-hmm. They have continued to see strides over last season that are hoping that aren't just small strides this year, but are knocking another draft out of the park and taking a leap to where I would hope, again, you'll be happy any ticket you punch, but I would hope it's the type of leap that puts you legitimately into the playoffs, not having to go through the gauntlet of the play-in tournament. And when you look at the separation, we've already mentioned with Miami, with New York, I don't think the Pacers are that far off in being in that conversation. Not even just where Miami is at, because again, they're taking advantage of an incredible opportunity in front of them, but where New York is at. And you look at the turnaround that the Knicks had this year to be able to win their first playoff series in a decade and they're not that far off. They really are. I'm not saying from being in full contention, but of making that perhaps Kings-like leap. And and maybe even that's too high because that would be third or second in the West and being thought of as maybe a dark horse to win the title next year. I don't know that I'd go that far, but in terms of the noise they could make and the strides they could make to your overall point, James, about getting opportunities to grow from failures or just from playoff experience, I want it to be legitimate playoff experience, not 
action in the play-in tournament where you get bounced in a game or two. Yeah, I completely agree, but that's... I mean, if you want to avoid the playing, you got to be a top six yeah. seed, and that's a big ask for a team that hasn't been there in, in a little while. So that's the only reason I would say the playing tournament is still valuable in that sense. It's not going anywhere, and so to me, it's just about getting some type of postseason um, appearance and somewhere, um, in some way, you can show okay, this is where we're moving. This is where we're going, and I think you have to get some return on your investment. You know, you believed in Halliburton enough to trade an All Star for him. You believed in Benedict Mather and to draft him as high as you did. You want to show these guys we're here to win. And then even a guy like Miles Turner, he's your longest tenured pacer. He takes a lot of pride in representing this city, this franchise. And so, again, you want to be able to tell him, you know, this is what we're doing to try to help you win, you know, sooner rather than later. Because he's not, you know, on a completely different timeline than those guys. But at the same time, I don't think you re-sign him just to – have him around for more lean years. You want to be able to say, hey, we got some meat on our bones. Now we're going out there and we're kind of bulking up. We're getting a little stronger. We're we're becoming a team that other teams have to be uh, fearful of. And so I think, again, the Halliburton injury last season where he missed a bunch of time, he lost like 10 in a row or something like that, that really changed things. It probably helped them in the long term with like draft positioning and things like that. But um, I don't expect him to come back this upcoming season and, you know, go through a stretch where he just isn't available for that amount of time and they're, you know, they're losing games. And so um, one thing I also look at just for Tyrese in general is strength training. You know, he's a skinny guy, but I do think he can get stronger, build his body. And similar to how Stephen Curry did it, I think that who he is now physically is stronger, especially in his upper body, than he was earlier in his yeah. career where you can't bump him. And um, you know if you're Tyrese, you're going to get, you know uh, – elbows to the ribs you're going to get pushed you're going to because you have the ball in your hands you create so much so I think that his offseason will be huge as far as his nutrition his diet building his body now I'm not saying he's going to come back and look like you know James Johnson and and, and be the (laughs) the NBA enforcer but that'll go a long way as well but again the future is bright over there I'm excited for them to see how it all unfolds and I think that anyone um, who is a Pacers fan has to be happy about what they're seeing not satisfied but happy to your point about Miles, it is a slightly different timeline, as you acknowledge there, just because it's a two-year contract extension, able to be unrestricted in 2025. That was kind of done as a two-way street deal. The cap is ultimately going to be up and increased, at least in terms of projections, by the time he is a free agent. But at that point, he's going to be 29 years old, and you're going to have a real look-in-the-mirror moment of where is the franchise at in terms of our championship aspirations of our growth of the franchise because that's we joke about a super sim of just to week one for the Colts for the Pacers that type of simulation is two seasons out from now you're going to be in a different standpoint and have a clear picture for is Miles a part of this or are we not where we want to be yet and and it's time to to cut bait again that's two years from now I'm not trying to totally remove all the happy vibes of yes we finally re-signed Miles and he's back but you are right it is a different window in that regard because of the decisions you're going to have to make as a franchise absolutely and I think that he's still young enough that if that contract you know comes to an end you're like hey we're we're right where we want to be we can take a leap with you still here then sure but at the same time um, it's just not something you can bank on just yet because you just don't know how the next few years will play out, how guys will develop. I think Benedict is showing a promising future, but what does he look like two or three years from now? Like, is he a fringe all-star? Is he a someone who you're looking at, okay, this is a guy who is truly 
a co-star or is he just you know a higher level role player not saying that that's a bad thing I'm just saying it's very rare you know to, to hit on every single you know pick you get and everyone's going to be Reggie Miller 2.0 as far as the superstardom that usually isn't the case and so I think that uh you know you, you just hope that between Matherin this year the pick you have I mean sorry Matherin last year the pick you have this year you can get a true superstar caliber player someone who can really raise your ceiling is Benedict that I don't know but I do think he's a part of the future and then with Miles his game is conducive to aging because he can shoot the outside shot, um, because he you know blocks a lot of shots, but he doesn't play a super physical and demanding style, which can be frustrating at times for certain fans. But I do think that the things that he are good that he's good at can last for quite some time, which is the outside shooting, which is the rim protection, um, which is the ability to stretch the floor. That doesn't get old for any team, and so um, I'm excited about it. We'll see, but. Yeah, that two-year deal makes you uh, realize, okay, what are we going to do? And for him, I think it's also showcasing, like, you need me. Like, I know Miles has a lot of pride in his game and how he approaches the game. Sure. And so you don't want to be the person that the team moves on from. Um, not saying it's that similar, but, like, you know, DeMar DeRozan in Toronto, it's like, oh, we can move on from you and upgrade and really become what we want to become. I think Miles is like, no, like, I've been here longer than anybody I was here for the lean years. I was here for the playoff years. Mm-hmm. I was here for all of it. And so even him, I think that if the Pacers are able to sneak back into the playoffs with him at this stage of his career, it could be very beneficial because he was there before. He can tell them and yeah. show them, like, this is what it takes. And he faced some great teams, obviously. So um, we'll see. It's a different perspective for sure once you've been there and once you're able to get back and you always need a piece like that in the locker room. There's no doubt about it. That is James Boyd. I'm Jimmy Cook. Eddie Garrison is with us as well. we got a stacked show for you today. Mike Chappell, top of next hour. We'll get our daily dose of Colts there around 1.30 with our lineup set up. we got a prize package to give away. That's right. I figured out how to label this so I don't mess it up. It's a prize package. You win trivia. You're getting a pair of tickets to Indy 500 Qualls. You're getting a pair of tickets to Indy 500 Carb Day. We'll do that around 1.30. That number is 317-239-1070. Again, at 1.30 for trivia for that prize package. Matt Moore, top of the 2 o'clock hour, going to take us around the NBA circle, get us a heavy dose of playoff action, probably talk some bets as well, see if there's any real value there with Warriors in 7. And then the local angle on the Pacers side of things, bottom of the 2 o'clock hour, Tony East will be with us. He'll take us through Benedict Matherin making all NBA rookie first team. Just talk about that ascension as well what's left to be developed in year two for him and overall we'll get an nba splash with him as well but coming up next it's almost schedule day that's right nfl schedule will be released on thursday and an in-depth look at strength of schedules and perhaps should that change expectations with how we're viewing the indianapolis colts we'll discuss that around the corner on the fan midday show 93.5107.5 the fan whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Fan Midday Show in the DriveHuber.com studios. Eddie Garrison jamming with myself and James Boyd. Thanks so much for spending part of your Tuesday with us. Texans, Jaguars, Titans, Saints, Falcons, Panthers, Buccaneers, Browns, Steelers, Ravens, Bengals, Rams, Raiders, Patriots. <laughs> what does that all mean? Oh, well, it's the Colts schedule. Oh, I thought there were teams in the NFL. Oh, boo. You also, you also get a gold star for that, Eddie. I'm proud yes. of you for, uh, for picking up on that as well. But it will be Colts opponents for 2023. I'm going to give the tweet credit to Andrew Siliano. 
on NFL Network, who I thought was on vacation. Good for him for, you know, never dropping a moment in the 24-7 NFL cycle. But I will also tip the cap as well to our very own Eddie Garrison because he has been banging this drum a bit too, albeit not as analytical to grab the percentages. The point still remains the same, which is Colts on paper have a pretty easy strength schedule. In fact, of the 32 teams, it is the fourth easiest schedule in the entire National Football League. We talked yesterday about temptations, about maybe rushing processes, James. We're going to dive into the schedule on Friday. It'll release Thursday night. James will obviously be on the beat for that. You can follow him at Romeoville Kid. He'll have you up to date when the schedule drops, but we'll be in studio again as well discussing on Friday and doing a way too early simulation of how the schedule goes. But when you hear that, fourth easiest schedule of all 32 teams, does it change anything for you? And if it doesn't change anything for you, how tempting will it be for the Colts as a whole, knowing that, hey, maybe we throw the rookie out there and we just see what happens? I think Jim Mercy is counting Lombardis as we speak, <laughs> you know, making his Super Bowl plans. But no, I think it's one of those things where you don't want to get too caught up in the strength of schedule because the NFL probably has better parity than any professional yeah. league and a lot of games are decided by you know one possession one point I mean the Colts literally beat the Super Bowl champions last year yeah. and then they also played the Super Bowl runner up to like the last hang possession. the banner and hang so up. hang it up baby <laughs> so I would just caution anyone out there but I do think you know if there are some opponents where you're like okay these aren't elite level teams particularly with elite level defenses does that mean do you find a sweet spot to get Anthony Richardson in there if, if he isn't starting week one and so that's what I'm excited to see as I was saying off air I have a thing at the athletic where we have to break down the schedule and you know Toughest defense, toughest offense, toughest stretch, things like that. Um, and I think the biggest game and the obvious game is whenever Anthony Richardson starts. Because I do think he's going to start at some point this season, whether it's week one, week eight, or week 13 or whatever. He's going to start at some point. So that's what I'm most excited to see who that could potentially be against. But, um, yeah, I thought it was pretty you know, eye-opening to see that. And I'm thinking to myself – I capped the Colts at six wins this upcoming season. That's my own personal opinion. Like, I don't think they're going to go over six wins. Eddie has them at seven, and I'm like, hmm, do I think that they have enough, if this schedule is weak enough, to, um, you know, help them? And so we'll see. I kind of hate, you know, making guesses or, or having takeaways about something I haven't seen just yet. But when we do, I'm sure we'll have a lot of opinions about it. And, you know, shout out to the NFL for making everything a spectacle because now I'm like literally waiting, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, with anticipation. Just can you just give it to me now? Can you just give me a little something? I know some of the games will be released, um, you know, I believe tomorrow and today. Some of the bigger games. Just and a so, taste. Just give you a little bit yeah, of a taste. Yeah, I just need a yep. little sneak peek. Yep. You know, I won't yep. tell anybody and, you know, just text all my friends. <laughs> but um, I'm excited about it because I think that this is just another uh, obvious example of the season creeping closer. And I think that um, you go through an entire season like the last one was, and it's like, wow, I'm glad to get a break from it. But then, you know, we're kind of crazy and we want it, you know, to run it back already. That's why I've had the flag out. We got the, we got the checkered flag on the YouTube for those that are listening via just the audio medium. Because, yes, it's another benchmark on the road back to the NFL season. Yes, sir. And it's an opportunity, which is why I haven't made my official 
guess yet. Don't worry. I'm going to have that prediction on Friday once we have the schedule in front of us. And perhaps maybe Eddie or yourself will modify that. I know he's a coward. We'll I know. I know. I know. I know. I'm not. I'm not. Actually, I am proud of myself. It's fine. Bring the booze. I love it. I live on it. All right, Wilson Contreras. <laughs> A lot of heavy lifting, obviously done in division, because the AFC South is what it is, even though Trevor Lawrence is still there, and we talked about the arms race in the AFC as a whole at the quarterback position. It's a little mini arms race going on in division within the South, because all new quarterbacks except for Trevor Lawrence. But then, of course, (laughs) and it's so funny, because we had Brian Noah on with us last week, and we talked about the quarterback makeup and who probably has the biggest area for automatic wins when you see them on the schedule. And if you point to it and ask a casual NFL fan, they're going to say the South in both conferences. They're going to say the AFC South, the NFC South. The Colts, in terms of being very fortunate, obviously have AFC South, duh, in division. But then the NFC South as their out-of-conference setup. They're going to play the entire South. And he's right. I mean, it's going to allow a number of opportunities to where, in theory, it's never done on paper, games are not played on paper, but in theory, you look at each weapon across the board, regardless who the quarterback is, Colts should be in most of those games. Colts probably want to be in most of those games. You know Shane Steichen wants to get things off to the right foot. Absolutely. So the larger conversation here is, of course, well, are you tempted to throw Richardson out there early? Well, of course, only if he's ready. But even if it is Minshew, there's enough... Jonathan Taylor factor, you would hope that big leap from Michael Pittman Jr., Jelani Woods, Molly Cox, Josh Downs, if he has an impact rookie season, Isaiah McKinney. There's enough weapons on this offense, and that's not even including the defensive side of the ball to where, yeah, you would think as you're evaluating, do I go over or under on this win total, they could sweep the NFC South. That should not be off paper. Uh, maybe I'm being disrespectful to Bryce Young, but that shouldn't be off paper for the most part in that division. I just wouldn't put sweep anywhere near the Colts. No, you're not giving yet. them broomsticks. I nope. can't. I can't give them a broomstick. But I will say, yeah, they should be in some of these games. A lot of these games, I think that health will be a tremendous factor in that. I mean, you forget that. Maybe you don't forget, but you kind of lose sight of how special Jonathan Taylor is when he's healthy. How special Shaquille Leonard is when he's healthy. And so, if you get those two guys back. Those are guys that change games, you know, with their level of play. And so um, they should be two guys who factor into the equation as far as wins and losses. And so we'll see. I do think that when we talk about being ready for Anthony Richardson, there is like a catch-22 with that. He's never going to be fully ready, right? But, like, is he ready to fail and, like, fail in a controlled environment or as controlled as you can have it? You don't want him going out there and completely, you know, falling off the rails and, and just doing stuff that he's not really prepared to do and having lights be too bright. I don't expect him to be that way, but I do think there has to be a certain level of maturity and awareness and acceptance that, you know, this is probably not going to go well all the time. I'm not saying you go in there with like a loser's mindset. Oh, I'm going to go out there and I'm just going to do whatever, you know, so be it. But you have to be able to understand that it might not look pretty very often early on because, you know, one, there's the learning curve of the NFL, and especially coming from a guy like him who hasn't started that many games. And then two, there is the, you know, you're the top pick. So on everyone's calendar, you're going to be the guy they want to humble the most. You have that target on your back. I'm sure other athletes are hearing about you being 
you know, the most athletic quarterback and this golden child and, you know, the top five potential. And they want to basically just humble you. And I think any competitor would. And so there's going to be that aspect of it. But I do think that um, they have a, a chance to win some games, be in some games, and to be able to look up at the end of the season and say, we made some progress. I don't think, again, like I said yesterday, you can bottom out and just say, oh, it was a successful season because we had a rookie quarterback. No, you won't be able to say, you know, we had a rookie quarterback, he got in there, he got some experience, some much needed reps. But at the same time, we were able to lay the foundation for the future rather than, you know, having it crumble with only one thing to show for, which is the quarterback. And I don't think that they're going to throw him out there, to your point, if he's clueless. And by that I mean, oh, it's harsh, but, but by that I mean it's clear he is confused or lost in multiple facets of the game. Mm-hmm. If the answer is he's mastered every challenge we've thrown at him to this point, now the only way for him to really grow right. is to go out there and be known in his mind, you can make mistakes, it's okay, mm-hmm. we want that on film, we want to be able to grow and overcome it, that's one thing. Mm-hmm. why they're probably going to be patient on it and why I'm kind of with Eddie, as he mentioned off air, that you at this point likely lean Minshew as the obvious choice to start things off is, yeah, let, let him gather his bearings. Mm-hmm. Let him see what this process is like. Life in the NFL, life within that quarterback room. But as Eddie also mentioned, if Minshew does walk you into a couple early wins and you're enticed a little bit by that schedule and what could be a really valuable opportunity. We just talked about it with the Pacers to get playoff experience. Incredible opportunity, once again, for the Colts to be able to... I'm not even saying win the division. That would be awesome. Get back into the dance. Get experience for this young core. I know it's different across those two sports, but it remains when you have that type of schedule in front of you and you know the opportunities there... That's where you're going to have to make those tough decisions of how long are you riding Minshew's hand and how long are you, okay, Richardson's ready. It's time to throw him out there. Yeah, and I'll give Bob Kravitz, my colleague, a shout-out with The (laughs) Athletic. He always says water finds its level, and I think that will be the case with Gardner Minshew. Whether it's a hot start or not, I think that at some point he's going to regress to the mean, which is him being – a you know pretty good backup bridge quarterback in the NFL. That's what he's been throughout yeah. his career. He hasn't been a guy who I would trust to lead a team to the playoffs, let alone you know going to playoff run. And so, you know, if that were to happen, like if they started extremely hot, I do think that Jim Irsay would really have a conundrum on his hands because on one side of it, you want to see your rookie play, but on the other side, I know that Jim Irsay really wants to win. That's what he's been about. Like, that guy will never tank and just, you know, throw a team out there that he knows cannot compete and he's going to just sabotage the season for a higher draft pick. The number four pick that they got last season was pretty organic. Like, no one went out there or he didn't, you know, put players out there thinking they have no chance of winning. Now, you can say, hey, well, he was the person who basically forced Sam Ellinger into the starting lineup. That's because he believed in him. He thought he would actually be, you know, good enough to win them games. And so um, we'll see. I would be shocked if the Colts got off to a really hot start because of all the changes you're going through with a new coach, a new quarterback, whether it's Minshew or Richardson, um, new offensive playmakers, a new defense that, in my opinion, will be worse than last year because you lost a Stephon Gilmore who was 
arguably your best player on mm-hmm. defense. You lost Rodney McLeod, who was a really good safety for you, really good trustworthy guy on the back end. And so um, we'll see. But, you know, everyone out there, relax. The schedule's not <laughs> out yet. And what you see on paper always looks different in person. And that's why I say that because – you know, I just would have never thought the Colts would have beaten the Kansas City Chiefs last season, especially with how they started the season. Yeah, you and me both. And then when they did, you know, I went to the locker room. Shaquille Leonard reminded me that I was hating last week when they had uh, lost to Jacksonville. And so uh, I was reminded by him and a few others that uh, I got to keep that same energy and uh, keep that same smoke. And so uh, those are the things that uh, kind of jump out to me about the NFL is you just never really know when you get between those lines because every week, I promise you, there's some team where you're like, how the heck did they win this? But um, that's that's what makes the league so fun is that even with the top-level teams, the dominant teams, there's always that dog, that team that has yeah. it today. Still to come on the Fan Midday Show, Mike Chappell going to join us top of the hour. We'll get his thoughts in general. We won't as fun as it would be because I know what Chappie's reaction is going to be. We won't fully dive into his thoughts on, on the percentages <laughs> of that strength of schedule, but we will get his thoughts from what he saw from, from yet another rookie minicamp. As, as Chap cautioned us, you know, there's only so much you're really going to see there, but where he feels like things are at the right, deve- right direction, we'll also get his thoughts on Jonathan Taylor's evaluation of his new rookie QB. Matt Morgan to join us top of the 2 o'clock hour, Tony East at 2.30 getting us through NBA both nationally and locally. But we shift back to the hardwood briefly when we come back. The NBA made a decision. Was it the right one? We'll react in a moment on the Fan Midday Show. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Jimmy Cook, James Boyd, Eddie Garrison, fan midday show. We discussed this yesterday. The little forearm shiver heard round the world <laughs> with Nikola Jokic and Suns owner Matt Ishbia. We discussed it yesterday. I, I tipped the cap to Ishbia, at least in terms of his reaction. For those of you who don't know, loose ball went out of bounds. In that game four that ultimately saw Phoenix tie the series at two games apiece, Jokic goes to get the basketball. Ishbia's holding on to it. Jokic trying to, try to take the ball away. He does so. Ishbia puts his hand on the Joker. He gives him a shiver. Back to the playing days in Michigan State for Ishbia. Flops back in his chair. But then walked it back a bit with the way he responded on Twitter. Said, hey, I don't think, I'm paraphrasing here, obviously. Don't think that Nikola should be suspended. A lot of respect for him. Yada, yada. NBA makes a decision. I think they do the right one in terms of they don't suspend him. He got a technical for the act itself. They do hand the $25,000 wrist slap fine. That's general uh, <laughs> operating procedure for the league. You're going to have some type of monetary fine. I think you and I are in agreement on that, though. Probably made the right call. Much to do about nothing at the end of the day. Glad we moved on, and I guess Nicola learned his lesson from $25,000 out of his pocket. I, I doubt that, but hey, what are you going to do? <laughs> wasn't malicious. It's what it is. I do think he learned his lesson, though, that you don't want to toe that line no. with... Uh, fan or owner interaction. Anyone that's not on the playing surface, I guarantee you if that same situation happens tonight, he will not be running over there to do that type of thing because you've been warned. And I do think that that's something you have to keep in mind. You don't want to you know, ruin your team's chances of winning with you not being out there because of something as ridiculous as that. Now, I will say, I thought Matt Ishbia should be fined as well. 
find him as the billionaire. You you inflate his fine, so you you know you you find him two hundred and fifty <laughs> million. No, I'm joking. Um, I do think that uh, he seriously should have something should have happened to him. I don't know if you can't find an owner or something like that, but I I just go back to what I said the other day. Any other fan holding on to the ball is getting ejected. And so I just felt like it was this instance where the NBA is saying the only person who did something wrong was Jokic. And that's just not true. Like, if you let the ball go and you don't flop afterwards, <laughs> maybe, you know, uh, that whole situation doesn't transpire. And so um, does it matter now? No. I'm glad that Jokic wasn't suspended because you want to see the best players out there at this point in the season especially. And um, I stand by what I said yesterday. There's no way Matt Ishbia wants to see Joker. In, I'm sorry, not Joker, <laughs> the Joker in Jokic. You know, sorry, got to work on my English. But um, until happens, sometimes. I know, it's man, right. I it's, it's tough sometimes. But I do think that you know he doesn't want to see that guy out there. Um, and I'm curious to see how angry Jokic responds after having 53 points in the last game. Now, I think the key to the, the Nuggets winning, getting back to the basketball side of it will be him being more of the distributor Jokic that we're used to. Um, as Book said, he can have his 50 points if we get the win. And I do think that that actually benefits the Suns if the only person who's able to score and get going is Jokic. I mean, you look at 50-point games in the NBA, and usually when these performances happen, they're always in tight games because everyone else is kind of standing around not doing anything. And so the margin of, for you to win is pretty tough. Now, if Jokic can come out and have – 27, 14 assists, and 13 rebounds, that I think will be more um, likely to lead to a win as opposed to him just going off again. That's got to be the most interesting matchup of the night, even with Philly's heroics mm-hmm. in game four, right? When you look at what's available for this slate. And again, I know we're going to dive into that a little bit in the two o'clock hour with Matt Moore, but look, this is somebody that I feel like I'm writing a one of those finance articles and I have to disclose at the end that I have uh, in money invested here. This is a guy that also has a, a futures ticket on the Suns to win it all that I placed on the night of the KD trade. So I, I'm torn here because it's like, man, I would like for that bet to hit, but it's also Denver's been kind of pushed around and overlooked all year. Has the tide of that series shifted for you at this point as things head back to Denver or is it the reasonable answer of, hey, everybody took care of business at home and as you pointed out, I know you love this one, James. Doesn't start until somebody wins on the road, baby. Boo. I hate that. <laughs> I know you do. I, I do think that uh, the momentum have shifted back to the Suns because they're the last team to win. I think the momentum always shifts to the team that won the last game, especially in a tied series. And I think that even beyond momentum and things that are maybe harder to qualify or quantify, rather, you look at Kevin Durant. He's looking like Kevin Durant again as far as the efficiency. He's always scoring. He's going to score regardless. But it looks like he got a rhythm. And I'm like, okay, if he's going to be efficient Kevin Durant, if Devin Booker is still going to be the best player on their team and one of the most you know, hottest guys in the league right now, that really does not bode well for you. And I say that because those two are superstars. And so I expect their game to translate, whether it's at home or on the road, because they're that good. Now, will Andy Stramit? 
you know, uh, Eddie's favorite player, um, have a great performance, <laughs> you know. Devin Booker light. <laughs> I mean, will he have that type of performance again in game five? I don't think so, but I just really trust that um, KD might have found his footing, and if he has, that is very scary, and I trust that their top dogs in Phoenix are better than the two top dogs in, um, you know, the Nuggets land. And also, if you would like to see, you know, a sighting from Michael Porter Jr. if you're the Nuggets, I mean, that guy – Similar to Jordan Poole, like I said, you paid him over $100 million. You need him to show up, and um, you need him to knock down the open threes and at least give you something to have a reason for having him out there because a lot of times if he's not making shots, he's not contributing anywhere else. Somebody's got to step up. Biggest thing on Denver's side, you need somebody to help the Joker Jamal Murray, man. That would be the easiest card to play, and you hope that that's able to come to fruition as things head back to Denver. We'll switch back to the Colts. Mike Chappell will join us. We'll get his thoughts on the early returns on rookie minicamp. Like we mentioned, comments made by Jonathan Taylor regarding the build of Anthony Richardson and if the strength of schedule should factor in at all with how things play out over the next couple of months. That and more with the Dean, Mike Chappell of Fox 59 and CBS 4 on the Fan Midday Show with Jimmy Cook and James Boyd. Back here in the drivehubler.com studio. 93.5-1075 The Fan. James Boyd here with Jimmy Cooks. And we have a legend on the line. He will never say it himself. He won't admit it. But how you doing, chap? Good. How are you? Well, for you, you've been around this for a long time, obviously. What are your first impressions of Anthony Richardson and what he brings to this franchise in his 20 years of youth? He brings hope, you know, <laughs> you know, because that's all you know. I mean, you hope. And I thought this franchise was was at a place where they needed hope. Well, you know, maybe this guy is the real deal. He's going to be 12, 14 years a franchise guy. But at least it gives you something to look forward to. And I think it was important for the fan base and everybody to – go into the season with, you know, a young guy that might be the answer. I mean, you don't know. You know, history says that about half of these first-round quarterbacks don't make it. Mm-hmm. You know, the the Bryce Youngs and, and Richardsons and the Strouds and all that, but you don't know. But he at least gives them some direction, and they will give him every chance uh, to grow and to be the guy, and and you know, all that all that depends on it is the you know the future of the franchise. <laughs> Chap, I'm going to paraphrase him a little bit, but Jonathan Taylor was was asked during an interview earlier this week for how he would best describe Anthony Richardson, and he used a lot of the same comps that we've heard throughout the entire draft cycle. Reference Jalen Hurts, reference Lamar Jackson, reference Cam Newton. Uh, in, in general, that's obviously high praise from arguably your best weapon on the offensive end. But when you when you hear that from Jonathan Taylor, that's just one example of the type of confidence early on that the veterans in that locker room have in the young man. But what are your takeaways on that? Yeah, and I think what's important is in all those comparisons, there's always something there, right? That's valid. But we've got to let this kid kind of be himself and kind of do what he does. And sort of what some of a lot of what he does is unique, but he's such an unfinished product. It's, I go back to when we talked to Ed Dodds, you know, one of Chris Ballard's right hand men after the draft. And, and when he was initially 
you know, evaluating Richardson. He said it was so hard to get past the fact that he had 13 starts on like 290-some passes, whatever it was. Because as a scout, you want to see game film. You want to see the guy play. Well, this guy didn't didn't have much of that. So, But it's really important that, that we all sort of let this guy grow. And, you know, we all want – I think it's important that he plays sooner rather than later. But they will not put this kid out there until he's ready. And is that week one? Is that week six? We don't know, but it's going to be fun watching. Chab, how do you think Jonathan Taylor having him in the backfield – will help um, simplify things a little bit for Anthony Richardson whenever he does take the field. Well, that's I mean, when we talked to Jim Irsay, uh, I think it was during the draft, mm-hmm. he mentioned a couple of times. Of course, he also mentioned the season opener like two or three times, <laughs> so we know where his eyes are. But he, he also mentioned how simplified offense, simplified offense. So they're, they're going to, at least initially, tailor things to where you know he, it won't be one of the old paralysis by analysis type of thing where you're so overwhelmed they're not going to do that they're going to have an offense that certainly this kid can run can be efficient and productive but that's why it's so important to sort of take steps what he was you know Richardson was here last weekend for the rookie mini camp he's not here this week because the league rules, but he's he's here next week and he'll be with the veterans for the first time. And out there with all all the returning guys with Gardner Minshew. So really next week is when sort of his growth really takes off because then he's out there with the rest of the guys. It's, It's these guys that are talked highly of him. Quentin Nelson talked about how he dominated the combine and all this. And, and all these guys have seen that from afar now they're going to see it up close. And I think what's important is how does how does Richardson sort of handle being the guy? Mm-hmm. It, it's it's kind of difficult when you're 20, when he turns 21, is it this month, later this month, or in May, and, and later in May. And it's got to be hard to walk on the field in the huddle when you've got Quentin Nelson or Ryan Kelly and Braden Smith and all these guys, even Jonathan Taylor, and sort of take control because you've got to do that, but it's got to be real. It can't be a fake thing. And I got the impression that this that Richardson will do that in his own way, but he's got to take control of the offense, sort of the presence. Remember Shane Sykin talked about his presence in the building and he's got that bounce on his step. Uh, but it's really, really important how he interacts and how he's, I guess, accepted by his teammates because these guys are flat tired of changing quarterbacks. You hear it when, when these Quentin Nelson talked about it. All these guys talk about, you know, from one quarterback to another, you do not grow as an offense or as a team bouncing from, you know, Jacoby Brissett and, and, and Phillip Rivers and Carson Wentz and Matt Ryan have this guy to build around and grow around, and that's what's going to be really exciting to watch over the next several months. Chap, does that mentality, because I get it, the fatigue, and I think we all have it, but it's different when you're in the trenches with the guy, that fatigue of different quarterbacks, does that get combined at all or taken into account if you're bringing Richardson in midseason 
versus starting in week one. Like if you're having to go through Minshew and getting used to his cadence and how he operates versus the idea of the rookie maybe getting some run this year. No, I think it is different from okay. recycling these veterans. But no, but there will be a transition, right? Whenever it comes, and again, if in my mind, there's no doubt Minshew will be the most ready for the season opener, just because he's a veteran, he's played two years in Steichen system. But I just, it's going to be curious how far behind, if that's the right word, or how close Richardson is to being ready. On top of that is is how ready is the offense? Is, is the offensive line fixed to the point that they can protect this guy? I, I realize that everyone talks, and they're right about he's got the mobility to avoid sacks or whatever. But mobile quarterbacks run into sacks too, mm-hmm. so so it's really going to be how they feel he's how, how ready he is, but then how ready is the offense? And if it's close, if he's close, I won't be shocked if he starts. But I also won't be shocked if they let Minshew kind of get things going. The problem is, let's say you start Minshew, and they go four and one. Then, then how do you transition to the rookie? I, yeah. that, that's a difficult part. But they'll just they'll, they'll go through all these scenarios. And again, from talking from James was there, from talking to Ursay and Steichen, I got the I got the sooner rather than later vibe from both guys. Absolutely. And Chef, this is more of a personal question. 40 seasons for you covering the team here in Indianapolis. What keeps it fresh? Why keep coming and um, doing what I assume you love every day? Yeah, for, it's one of those like you just enjoy it. And I've mentioned to guys in the past that that I was very fortunate, and you're in the same boat, that I found something I really, really liked to do at an early age in college and then coming out. And I was good at it, and and they paid me for it. Holy smokes, they paid me for it. <laughs> and how many people do you know, your neighbor or whatever, that goes nine to five, and he hates his job. He hates it, but he goes because he has to. He's got to put food on the table. We're, we're some of the fortunate people that, that we've we found what we do. They, they pay us for it, and we're good at it. And as long, you know, as, long as the checks keep clearing – I plan on doing it, you know, a couple more years anyway. But but I keep thinking about you, James. I mean, gosh, I've covered the Colts like twice as many years as you've been alive. <laughs> what, what are you, 20? I mean. Yeah, I'm, I'm 27. Um, but, yeah, Chap, I, I get reminded quite often I'm the baby in the media room. And so uh, I think I told Chap one day, I was like, hey, man, like, he, he leans over. He's like, you know, James, you're like – Younger than my grandkids, and I was like, "Oh, like, you know, thanks for reminding <laughs> I, me." So uh, I, got a, I got a grand, I got a grand since I was twenty-two. So you know, I'm I'm not lying to you. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. Chap, in that same vein, obviously, none of the three of us are going to ultimately make that decision for when Anthony Richardson is ready. But you've seen so much football over the years to know how this process works from your vantage point. Again. You're not saying what the Colts are going to do, but how you're measuring this out. We had J.J. Stankovitz on yesterday, and he talked about the different phases that are left in this offseason in the lead-up to training camp. How will you know or how will you get a good sense that Anthony Richardson is making the type of progress to where maybe he won't even start week one, but he's making the type of progress that is satisfactory for Shane Steichen and company? Yeah, good question because I'm not sure that Shane Steichen is going to give us a right a weekly update. I mean, we, we, we've talked with him enough that we're not going to get that. I don't know. It's a good question. I and I always 
people always jump on me because I refer to Peyton Manning, but when he was here, you just knew. Now, he, he wasn't Mr. Hall of Famer the first half of the season, but there was just the way he carried himself, how he handled the huddle, and you could just see it, you know, almost from the first couple of practices. And I don't know if we're going to see that from Richardson. What's really going to be interesting, and we get to see OTAs in a couple of weeks, like one day a week, and then the three-day minicamp in June. How will they divvy up the work with the number one unit? Do, do you give the bulk of it to Richardson, who needs it? you got to get Gardner Minshew ready because, you know, he needs it too. So, But I, I don't know if we're going to see how he carries himself on the field, how he's throwing, because it's going to be more, does he grasp the offense? Does he understand protections? Are he and the offensive line working together? That's and that's really hard to watch in practice. It really is. We're gonna we're gonna watch him at training camp, and we're gonna see the good and the bad. We're gonna see the amazing plays, the the the, the plays that he gets outside and runs, and the ones he he threw that one deep ball the other day. The, who was it? Cody somebody. Cody Case. Cody Cole. Cody Cody Case with a K. And uh, Cody with a K, and you think, holy smokes. And, and then he misses some throws. And we're going to see that. But I don't know how we're going to see with our eyes his, his how, how he's progressing to be ready to start. We'll get an idea in, in, in the preseason games. He's got to play. He's simply got to play. And how does he react in those two or three games he plays? Uh, I, I think we'll get a good idea there. But again, I say if I really believe if he's close to being ready, I just think they may go with him and, and, and deal with the bumps as long as he's not getting beat up because of protection. Chap, how do you think he's handled the spotlight so far? He has the deepest voice of any 20-year-old I've ever heard in my life. So maybe that helps, but yeah. Um, I think that maybe the part that might be understated about him and how talented he is is that he seems to be, you know, to our knowledge from the outside looking in, a pretty good kid with a nice head on his shoulders. Yeah, and, and we've we've had like three or four times talking to him, two or three times. And what you what you really enjoy when the season gets going is being in the locker room, standing at his locker, and it's just a, a better setting. Mm-hmm. But I I can't I can't think of anything. If I had an agenda where I wanted to rip the kid, I'm not sure what he's how I could pick things out and rip him for it because he's he's been on point, he's been he's been direct, he's answered things, he's impersonable. I thought one of the more important things he told us the day he came in after the draft, I think it was. Remember when all of his family and friends came in? Mm-hmm. There were eight or nine of them, and he mentioned how you know mom and stepdad and agent and manager and brother and a handful of other guys, they're moving up here with him. They're probably already up here with him. He said they keep me grounded. That's pretty important. That's, I mean, it's just important because all of a sudden now, this 20-year-old went from being in college and going to class as much as they do, whatever they do. This is his job. He, he's going to be a multimillionaire as soon as he signs his contract. $35 million. That's life-changing for you and, you know, your, your kids' kids maybe. So 
and, and some guys we've seen don't handle it well. I get the impression from everything we've seen, this guy's very genuine. There's that personable to him that you really, really like. And he's he needs that because he is the face of the franchise. You know, if you're not able to handle the spotlight and the demands and talking two or three times a week, it really wears on you. I've seen nothing in the short term to say that he can't handle it. But again, we've only seen a snapshot of him. The Dean Mike Chapel of Fox News United CBS 4 with us here on The Fan. Chap, I know we're tired of hearing the name, but I, I need to ask you just for your context on it. What is to be gained or, or why has this evolved into a, a request for an inquiry on the Colts part in regard to the commanders potentially tampering uh, with an inquiry about Andrew Luck uh, allegedly last year? Well, yeah, I mean, if, if, if it's true, you've got to you, – you want, you want the, the evidence or you want there to be an investigation to see what was done. And, you know, I, I trust the guys at the Washington Post. They don't throw stuff against the wall. They they, they, they source things pretty well. So I, I don't have the, a doubt that something happened. It's just hard to figure out what that something is. And if I'm the Colts and I'm Jim Irsay, I am PO'd that they're messing with the guy. Pe- people forget that the Colts own his rights. There's no different than, than a team, you know, calling Quentin Nelson. Or, or anybody else under contract. This guy is still under contract to the Colts. And if there's interference or tampering, it needs to be known. We saw we saw what happened with the Miami Dolphins when, what, over three years, they tampered with Tom Brady and, and, and Sean Payton, and it cost them a couple of draft picks and, gosh, a million and a half or $2 million in fines. The, the league, it's hard to prove, I think, but if they can prove it, the league comes down pretty hard. So the Colts are simply, it, it comes out wrong, but the Colts are simply protecting their commodity, which is what you have to do. And, you know, I, all of us are convinced. I know Zach Kiefer did a really, really good thing with his podcast. I think Sports Illustrated did a good thing, too, on Andrew Luck. And it's very clear the guy is the guy's retired. But having said that, th- there were times in the last several years where Jim Irsay, you at least check. Andrew, what do you think? And and they've come to the conclusion that he, that he's retired. But if somebody messes with your property, I hate to use the word property, but that's sure. But that it isn't. It, that's what he is. You get a little PO'd about it. You, you don't want somebody coming into your backyard and messing with with your stuff. <laughs> sure. So if, if they're doing that, they need to be held accountable. Last thing, chap, I want to end on on a positive story. You had this on CBS4Indy.com. Uh, it was reported yesterday. Butler's Tyler Adams, who was a part of that Colts Pro Day, earns his shot, gets signed by the Colts on Monday morning, former Butler wideout. It, just take us through that story again. It's You also joked on Twitter when you were going through the signings and cuts that had happened throughout that cycle, having a racer handy, do it all in pencil, but still a, a monumental moment for that young man. Well, it, it's all about getting your foot in the door. It, it just is. He was here for the Tyler Adams was here for the, the, the pro day, whenever it was in April. And then he's invited here as a tryout. You know, some of those guys think, oh, they're, they're here because you need X number of players at a position to run practice. But he's done enough to, to, to be signed as an undrafted guy. And the Colts have shown, like a lot of teams have, is if you are good enough at your position – whether you're seventh round pick or undrafted or whatever, they'll give you a shot and you'll earn, you'll earn a, 
around so far. I mean, it's what was it? Dallas Flowers last year. There's a George Odom, Dominic Rhodes, Gary Brackett. I can go back and back. Terrence Wilkins in the day, and these guys were. You know, Gary Brackett was a stud linebacker for a lot of years. So it's all about getting in the right situation with the right team. And it's always an added thing when it's a local guy, I mean, local college. Uh, and we'll see. Will he make it? I don't know. But but there's also a 16-player ro- uh, practice squad. So it's all about getting your foot in the door, being around there. And you, you keep showing up until they tell you, until they take your, your security code away. So good for, good for him. And, you know, like I say, the, the thing is, it's funny, this time of year there, there's always – Roster moves, and I tell you, there have been times that the Colts have put out that they've cut this guy or that guy, and I don't recognize the name. I just don't because they're one of the 90. And But as long as you're still on the roster, as long as you're still at practice, you've got a chance, and that's all a lot of these guys can ask for is give me a chance. That's the Dean, Mike Chappell. Chap, always appreciate you making time for us. Great to hear from you. And ordinarily, uh, we, we don't end these with homework, but uh, next week, albeit way too early, I know you're looking forward to the schedule. We'll probably <laughs> probably simulate that with extreme <laughs> ignorance. I'm looking forward to, to getting that with you. It's amazing <laughs> that the NFL has turned the schedule release yes. into an event. It's totally amazing, but it's true. Watch party. Chappie's house. Let's go. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Thank you, Mike. See you guys. See you, James. Thank you. It's the Dean, Mike Chappell, Fox 59 and CBS 4. I can't believe you didn't ask him about the squirrels. I almost did. But then, <laughs> but then I did the thing where I said last thing, and then I didn't want to. I should have. For those that don't know, Eddie's referring to a promo that's within our rotator during commercial breaks of a <laughs> uh, chap nearly getting attacked by squirrels during his <laughs> weekly conversation on the ride with JMV. Just truly great stuff. He's Across the best. The board. He He's is. the best. And he mentions that you can always go to chat for the wisdom of the moment because, yeah, so are we are we overshooting it a bit with the schedule release? And is it crazy the NFL has made it into this another big must-have event on the calendar? Yes, but darn it, we're still going to do it. We're still going to drive it into the abyss. It's just who we are as, uh, what, what do you call us, uh, a, a 20-year-olds in that regard, 22-year-olds? That's just, we don't know any better, chap. That's what we're going to do. Yes, as the young whippersnapper, <laughs> as he puts it. And um, I say this with love. Chap, you know, picks something, but I think it, a lot of it is respect and seeing how he operates. And I think when you see someone who does it for as long as he has and has earned the respect that he has and has the professionalism that he has, you get to basically learn every day. Like I'm enjoying my job, but I don't take it for granted that I get to work with, you know, someone who I truly believe is a legend. And again, he'll never say it himself, but um, chap, you know, Jimmy has this cool way of basically owning you because I'll say, man, when was the last time, xyz happened and he can just say it like that well <laughs> technically back in 1993 there was this that happened and i was like yeah i was not even a thought back then you know i was um negative two at during yeah. that time yeah. and so um it's really cool to hang out with him you know weekly and, and so i'm excited for him to have another chance to see a new direction new iteration of this franchise well yeah I mean, we talk about all the time on the player side of things and, and obviously we love to have our, our personal stories and connection on there as well but mm-hmm. at, when you're a player in the nfl yeah you want a veteran to be able to guide you there and there's obviously a lot of talent on the colts beat but a lot of them regardless of if you are a, as active in it as zach Heifer, or Stephen holder or if you're a newcomer like yourself 
everybody's gonna everybody's gonna point to the dean. Everybody's gonna point to Mike Chapel, and that's how it goes. Just like you, even though I'm not in the trenches with them on a weekly basis, it's always good to get the the weekly conversation and perspective with Chapel. There you go. I mean, it's fun. It, it puts things in perspective, and obviously, like he said, you know, we just have to wait and see what it looks like for Anthony Richardson. The preseason games, I think, will be perhaps the most we'll get before the real season starts, obviously, because he's expected to play a lot in those games, and he's expected, I would assume, to get a lot of reps and make the mistakes. And, again, I would just caution everyone out there, and I'm sure it's going to happen regardless. I mean, I don't know why I'm even putting the PSA out there, but every throw he makes in those preseason games is going to be amazing. Yeah. Every throw he doesn't make is going to be the worst thing in the world. I mean, you go back to last season, Sam Ellinger really did have a great, great, great preseason. It was unbelievable, the stuff he was doing. Then you're reminded that the guys he's doing it against probably aren't NFL, you know, rotation guys, if some of those guys even make the team. And so, um, as Eddie said, though, everything's going to be Hall of Fame robust, you know, come a few months from now. Yeah. Either they need to cut him or he's going to he's get get the bust ready. He's going to he's going to get in the Oh, goodness. See, this this is why you can't let, you know, these types of people on air, Jimmy. You know, they just they cloud the uh, the judgment of the good people out there who might not know any better. So, But it is and, and we're going to have plenty of time to dive into this, but. There is indications that can be made in the preseason because, yes, you're going to need to get them reps and give them opportunities, but there's also that distinction. Even though they, they shrunk the preseason down a couple of years ago, there is still, albeit smaller value than it was a couple of years ago, a dress rehearsal-like aspect to it, at least for a portion of the opening stages of those games. Who is it that is getting those reps with the ones? Who is it that is playing the, the rest of the game? If it's... Minshew that is getting those initial reps, the ones, and then they're like, all right, Gardner, there you go. Anthony, your turn. I'm not saying that that is a true benchmark for where he's at, but you have to start somewhere, and that's mm-hmm. probably likely, again, barring him setting the world on fire in training camp, him having a clear mastery of the of the playbook. And I, you see this all the time. They're not parlor tricks. Like They really are true. Like, wow, man, the memorization skills there. I can't remember who he did it with for the life of me. But there was a video on Twitter that came out right on after the time he was drafted from one of those like pre-draft interviews and he showed it on a whiteboard and like he drew up the plate. And I, I can't think of who it was. But it's that kind of thing where, yeah, if the memorization really is there, if that's not a one-off thing and you're processing things at the right level, yeah, he should ultimately get an opportunity at least once within the preseason to get some reps to ones. I'm not even talking in practice. I'm talking about live games and maybe you do those dual practices with, with, with another team like they did with the uh, with the Lions a couple years ago. Like maybe that happens. Either way, there are going to be benchmarks to be able to evaluate where he's at, both from us in the media side of things and obviously internally with that coaching staff where, yeah, I know you're going to do it. Maybe you won't share it with us, but you'll probably look over to Chap and be like, hey, Mike, what do you think? What do you see in here? I mean, you're always assessing information, right? <laughs> and so the, the name you're looking for is is Steve uh, Mariucci. Yes, yes. And, if, and, yep, yep. and so he, uh, yeah, I encourage everyone to check that video out. You can just Google it and just literally Google Anthony Richardson redoes a play and you'll be able to see um, what Jimmy was talking about with the recall, the recognition and things like that. And that's what, again, I want to dive more into is 
how does he study the game? Because when you're that physically talented, I think you can be discredited. Like any other great athlete, you look at some of these physical specimens like Patrick Mahomes, you look at people like LeBron James, like Stephen Curry, and you wonder like, oh, they just have this talent, this gift, and that's it's always going to come easy. No, I think that a lot of it, they make look easy because they're, you know, one, the 1% of the 1% when it comes to athletic talent and skill. But two, they work extremely hard at their craft to become, you know, great players. And so um, if for Anthony Richardson, I think the biggest thing is obviously, as Chap said, protecting him, making sure he's not going out there and getting hurt and getting lit up behind the offensive line that gave up 60 sacks last season, the second most in the NFL. But the other thing is, even if he does have a great understanding of the playbook, does the skill set match it enough to throw him out there? There's so many moving parts to it, so many factors, you know, or is it a thing where the skill set is improving with the accuracy and the, and the foundation, but maybe he doesn't grasp the playbook isn't where you want it to be. And so these are things that I'm sure they're going to weigh into it. But as I've said before, you're never 100% ready for anything. I mean, I wasn't ready to join the NFL beat. I wasn't ready to join an NBA beat, you know, having never covered a professional team before two years ago. So, I mean, you're never really ready. I think readiness is better determined by your work ethic, how you approach it, and your fearlessness because you're going to fail at some point. You're going to go out there and you're going to get humble. You're going to mess up. And as Chap said, when you get around your more veteran teammates, how do they respond to the way that you carry yourself when you're faced with adversity? Because that, to me, is the biggest determining factor to win over a guy like Zaire Franklin, Shaquille Leonard, DeForest Buckner. It's how you approach it, how you own it, and then how do you bounce back from it. And to quote the coach, it's ultimately going to make that decision for who's starting week one. And it's it's just so perfect. It, it's the, the just quintessential coach speak, but it's so true to that aspect of what you want to see in your quarterback. James, separations in the preparation, baby. That's what, it's, I mean, it's, it's what you need to see from Anthony Richardson hey, ultimately. Look, Shane Steichen will never be, I don't think he'll ever be a very long soundbite. Sure. He's all ball. But I do think, you know, maybe he'll loosen up a little bit more when the quarterback position is settled. I think that everyone doesn't want to give any information because they don't want to put any added pressure on him. But I think, you know, when things start to settle in, whether it's, you know, week one, week two, week 13, week 14, whatever the case may be, I do expect him to potentially open up a little bit more as to what it looks like for Anthony Richardson, this learning curve he's going through. Because obviously, you know, he won't just open up his playbook and tell us, hey, this is what we're going to run for him every single week. But once we start to see it with our own eyes, we can be more informed to ask better questions and get better answers. Because right now, a lot of it he keeps saying is, I'm not getting into it, which is fine. Like, I wouldn't reveal anything either if I was in this position. However, at some point, which is why I love what we do, we see what you're going to do. I mean, you can only hide so much as a coach, as a player, as a franchise until you have to go out there and put something on the field. And then by that point, it's it's an open secret to everybody. And we can all break down what we saw. And I think for me, it's staying in my place and remembering that even if I know 100% what this play is, I need you to explain it to me. What did you see? Why did you call it? Or, or why was this a situation Anthony Richardson was put in? Because, I mean, I would never be naive enough to think that I know more about football than Shane Steichen or Anthony Richardson or anybody else in that locker room. And so um, I'll be excited to see, again, more reps, even during like the joint practices and stuff like that, being able to ask questions based off of results rather than kind of pondering or trying to predict what it could look like. It's James Boyd. I am Jimmy Cook. We've waited long enough. It's trivia time. Prize package time. On the other side, get ready. 317-239-1070.
your chance to win the prize pack that will be given away throughout the week. It's a pair of tickets to Indy 500 Qualls, a pair of tickets to Carb Day. You get them both if you answer a trivia question with us here on the Fan Midday Show. Again, that's 317-239-1070. Get ready next. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. This is the Fan Midday Show. Jimmy Cook and James Boyd. Eddie Garrison behind the ones and twos. Trivia time, your opportunity to win our prize pack, which includes a pair of tickets. 2,500 quals and carb day as well. You can get both those if you answer a trivia question correctly. We're going to take you behind the scenes here and talk on the fly with this because we don't make a decision. I've got one. And he does have one. Okay, I was going to you know, dog myself a little bit. <laughs> I, I, I have. I've been given softballs throughout this process, uh, except for the Star Wars question. And shout out to Big Glenn again for getting that right last week. <laughs> but uh, outside of that, most of the sports questions have been softballs. Uh, Eddie is substitute teacher day, so uh-huh. no such luck for the long list of callers we have trying to get this pair of tickets to Qualls and Carb Day. If you want to join 317-239-1070. Eddie, you have the controls. Where do you want to start? Uh, I do have the question. Which caller you want to go with? I'll let you pick. All right. Let's Actually, see. James, pick a number. One through five. All right. Three. Three. All right. Steve, you're up first. Are you ready? Eddie. All right. So who in the history of the Indianapolis 500 has ran the most laps led without winning in their career? Oh, my word. Without winning. Yes. Who's led Um, the most laps without winning in their career? Good Lord. I can't even. uh, Danny and Gaius. I don't know. That's a good guess, but I'll put you back on hold. That was not the correct answer. James, pick another number. One, two, four, five. Five. Five? All right, Mark. You got on hold yesterday. Do you know the? I'll give you a hint since we've already gone through one caller. Question is, who has led the most laps without winning in his career as a driver? He is currently still a part of the sport and involved in the sport. I think I do know that one today, guys. Okay, what do you, um, who do you think it is? It's the great family, of course. The that's 500, and he's a car owner, Michael Andretti. Bingo. Bang. Well done, Mark. Congratulations. You got a pair of Great tickets. Question. That's a good question, fellas. Thank you. I, yeah, we have to get up to Eddie. I had nothing to do with it. <laughs> James, if you want to share in that glory, you can, but I, I take I full credit because obviously I picked the numbers. <laughs> that was the reason why this guy won. <laughs> oh, way to go, Mark. Uh, hang tight. Eddie will have a pair of tickets for you for Qualls and Carb Day. That's our contest prize pack throughout the week. So be sure to keep calling in for your chance to win. We'll get back up tomorrow, and if you can't wait that long, you can enter kind of a second chance or an extra opportunity at that on 1075thefan.com. be honest, I did not know that one. I'm bad at trivia to begin with, but I, I, I would not have pulled the rabbit out of the hat there. Congratulations to Mark in that regard. I'll pocket mine because you just never know with the uh, level of discord that we sometimes have if uh, we're going to need a softball. But uh, again, get an opportunity tomorrow to do so. I want to shift back to the Colts for just a second when we looked at not just where Anthony Richardson is at, but the need for the veterans on this team to obviously do their jobs 
excel and achieve the objectives that the day calls for. But the veterans are also equally important in that regard, James. And you've seen it from the way guys like John Taylor or Quentin Nelson are, are talking about their quarterback I know the one side of the coin says, what do you expect him to say? You expect him to say, ah, this kid's hes going to be terrible. I, mean, I can't believe... No, they're not going to say that, but the outward comments they're making would lead you to believe as well that internally there is a sense of, of high optimism and excitement for what he's going to bring to the table. That's not to say they couldn't add more veterans, that they still have cap space to play with, but with what they have there, it's going to play a big part in the amount of confidence development he has from Minshew all the way to... Guys like Quentin Nelson and Jonathan Taylor. Yeah, I think the biggest takeaway from Quentin Nelson in particular is that he is not a talker. He's not a guy who really gasses up anyone because he's just more reserved type of player. And so to hear him talk about how he really respected how Anthony Richardson approached the combine and dominated it and how he commended it and looked at it as work rather than him just going out there and like I told you earlier he's not just doing these things because he's that naturally gifted it's that plus the work ethic and so to hear Quentin Nelson say that goes a long way he's someone that's really respected in that locker room and quite frankly has been one of the better players this franchise has had in recent years obviously with the you know being a four-time you know all pro and a five-time pro bowler and then also you know you got DeForest Buckner tweeting out the night of the draft we got a dog yeah and this is a guy who is even on offense, and, and, and this is someone who his future, you know, whether he stays here or not, he could have demanded a trade this summer, and no one would have, you know, been upset with him doing so because of what he's doing and where he is in his stage of, at this stage of his career. And so I think you have to really respect that um, from the standpoint of, okay, I have some older teammates that believe in me. And I think that just gives Anthony Richardson more confidence going forward. And to have, again, a guy who doesn't talk like Quentin Nelson, you know, tell him, hey, this guy is, is the real deal. Grover Stewart, who isn't really a talker either, but for different reasons, he's just so matter of fact with everything. And so um, he has that Southern drawl that he talks with. And he's just like, hey, we got our guy. I wanted him. He's going to be good. And Grover talked a lot about how they're going to help build that cocoon around him, that infrastructure to help him succeed. If uh, if you listen to the light, the latest edition of Kevin's Corner with Kevin Bowen and myself, you know you can Look download. At you Look you at can you. download it everywhere. You get your Set podcast low. as well as uh, on YouTube. We're on YouTube. Like, rate, subscribe to the One Seven Five The Fan. Uh, Five stars. YouTube. Oh yeah, whole, whole shebang. Like, comment. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you get it. But something that Kevin and I discussed on the last pod, um, James and Jimmy. I'm curious for your guys's opinion here. How much do you play Anthony Richardson? in the preseason like do you play him is it as if he's you know the starting quarterback like you would typically see you'd see the starters go out there you know first game for a couple series maybe a quarter maybe a little more extended in the second and the third game maybe even a little more partially into that third quarter for a series like all right here's a simulation we're coming out of halftime and now you have to go out there and lead the the team down the field so how much do you think or would you want to see Richardson play in the three preseason games? Because you have to have to remember there's two weeks off from the final preseason game until week one. Uh, so if there's a little bit of an extended time off from actual game action for these guys. I'll let you go first. I think you should play every single snap of every single game, <laughs> preseason, regular season, postseason, Super Bowl. Now, I do think that there has to be a healthy balance. Um, I would expect him to get a lot of reps. Maybe not um, – like early on, maybe you kind of hold off and, and, and really see him get a lot of the reps in that last preseason game because you then you can go back to the drawing board for two weeks and show him what he did or didn't do wrong. But on the flip side, it's like 
you also want to make sure if Gardner Minshew is going to be your week one starter that he you know, has played recently and he's not going to come in rusty. So there's a balance there. But I do think that we're going to see a lot of him. And my, I guess maybe a more specific way to look at it would be how much of it is with like the ones. You know, I think he's going to play a considerable amount just because you have to do that with any rookie quarterback. But how much of it will be, you know, starting the game and commanding the huddle and being out there with Pittman and Alec Pierce and Josh Downs and Isaiah McKenzie and other people and um, seeing how that all flows together. Now, that can fluctuate, that can change. And um, it's hard for me to gauge it right now because you just don't know where Anthony Richardson is. But I do think, you know, we'll see him a considerable amount in preseason and, um, I think for better or worse, that can give fans the wrong impression that, okay, that means he's absolutely going to play because he played this many snaps or this percentage of snaps when in reality, starters usually don't play that much in the preseason period. But for him, if he is going to be the starter, he needs those reps. So um, I'm excited to see him out there. And I would not, you know, be shocked if he played a fair amount, more than a fair amount in the preseason. The only way to really get a clear answer on that, and you kind of hit the nail on the head there, is what are they going to have his chart be for is he a starter week one or not so since we don't have that information and because i don't want to die as a question i'm going to say he's starting week one you're going to see enough from him throughout the different phases that jd stankovitz outlined for us yesterday regarding the offseason you're going to see enough from him to training camp you're going to see enough from how he is gathering the concepts understanding them and being able to act out that type of decision making during practice to where okay we're starting him week one they might not say that until that two-week gap in between the final preseason game or to week one, but he's the starter week one in my mind in this scenario. I want him out there with the ones like you would see at the, at the beginning of any preseason game and probably a little bit of an extended session for him as well. I'm not saying he's playing the whole game in this scenario. I am saying a little bit longer than the rest of the ones, but he's out there to continue to get reps and you're trying to judge where he is at because you have to balance it, James, and you mentioned this earlier, even though you might not be going up against ones on the other side of the ball the entire time during a preseason game, there's still valuable reps to be had there because it's NFL talent level on the other side of the field. It's not collegiate players anymore. Yeah, I was going to say that's the biggest thing, is, and that's why I always roll my eyes when people say, well, Alabama could beat the Browns or they could beat the Cardinals, and it's like, no, because everyone on the Browns or the Cardinals or any other right. you know, kind of bottom-tier team, even the Colts last season, like they all made the NFL. Like, there's no college team where every single player on your roster is making the NFL. That just doesn't happen yeah. at any program. And so um, that'll be good for him. The speed of the game, things like that, that all matters. And I think it also speaks to a level of hunger because you're facing guys who may not be as talented as what you'll see like every Sunday when you eventually start, but they're desperate. They're playing, you know, for their uh, futures, a lot of them. And so I think that that adds an extra layer of, you know, tenacity, intensity to the game. And that is good to face early on because those guys will try to humble you as well. Chap said something very important that you and I have also acknowledged over the last couple of weeks, which is that the offensive line is still going to be a big question mark and they're going to be watched just as carefully as anybody else on this roster, including the quarterback. The biggest thing, even though there's a cushion with the offensive line with Anthony Richardson and being able to bail on pockets and create separation when he's in trouble, and even like Chap mentioned, he might run into a few sacks, that's great. And that's a great tool to have to know that you're able to be an improv guy when things break down. 
But if the line is not at a standpoint, it doesn't have to be perfect, but if the evaluation from your offensive line coaches and just from Shane Steichen as a whole is not, they're up to snuff. They are at the level that we think that any quarterback that has the processing ability that Richardson may have, that Minshew has, will succeed. Then you put him out there. If not, the reason I'm a little bit more hesitant to it is with a guy like Anthony Richardson, I'm not even worried about breaking him, but I'm worried about in his internal clock, in his rhythm, in his progressions, he starts to bail and get happy feet when there's no real pressure there because he doesn't trust the O-line. And even then, when you fix the offensive line, that's kind of still ingrained in his head and it's going to take a while to be ironed out. So the offensive line is almost as big of a question mark for how soon you're bringing along anybody or what even Gardner Minshew is going to be able to do. It doesn't really matter who's under center if the line isn't able to help in that growth and development in my mind. Absolutely. I have said this repeatedly. You cannot run it back with the same offensive line and expect different results. I do think that they addressed part of that. We're getting Blake Freeland, who is someone who I expect to at least be a um, you know release valve early on in his career, could potentially be a starter. I'm not sure. Fourth-round pick, he's got a lot of upside, obviously. Jake Witt, the other offensive tackle they took, I think that he's a practice squad player. He's really, really raw. He hasn't even played football. Um, you know, a few years ago, he was like out of sports completely and just going to college as a regular student. And, um, you know, I'm sure things have worked out well for him since then because as a regular student, I got a call yesterday, Jimmy, from my student loan servicer to remind me <laughs> those payments will start soon. So, Jake, you know, I'm sure he's very happy that he went back to playing sports and, sure. you know, assume that uh, that might have helped with financial costs. But getting back to the point, I do think that uh, you have to make sure. You're not throwing him out there in a panicked state and he's forced to um, have his learning sort of hindered because you're, like you said, Jimmy, you're trying to just make something out of nothing every single time you're dropping back. And so I don't expect the Colts to go from having a poor offensive line last season to an absolutely dominant offensive line this season. To me, the baseline is just to be average. Like You just can't be absolutely bad, which which is what they were for large parts of last season. When you give up the second most sacks in the NFL – that unit is one of the weakest in the league. It was one of the weakest of the franchise um, last season. And I think that all kind of came as a surprise to people. Maybe not so much. We look back at some of the missteps, you know, trusting the left tackle spot to Matt Pryor, um, trusting that, you know, your right guard spot will work itself out, and trusting that young guys who are unproven would all benefit and do better um, collectively all at once. It's just not how it works in the NFL. You really can't rely too much on youth and expect that everyone's going to get better at the same time, at the same rate, and at those positions. So um, we'll see what they tinker with on an offensive line. But to me, the baseline is like, okay, if you know you're going out there and you have an average to a slightly above average offensive line, that's a win. You just can't be below average or, in my opinion, very poor like you were last year. And trust is the key there because there's a difference between Anthony Richardson having the presence of mind to make a decision to take off and run because he feels it's the right decision versus making that same choice to run because he doesn't have trust within his offensive line. It's James Boyd. I'm Jimmy Cook. Eddie Garrison with us as well. Still got Matt Moore to come at 2 o'clock. Top of next hour. Talk about NBA playoffs. Probably discuss some bets there as well. Tony East giving us the Pacers angle as we review Benedict Matherin's rookie season that saw him make All-NBA rookie first team. But around the corner, is there a value bet that we need to make in the NBA playoffs? We'll discuss that and then reopen it with Matt Moore in the 2 o'clock hour here on the Fan Midday Show. 
Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Here in the DriveHuber.com studios on the Fan Midday Show, Jimmy Cook and James Boyd, along with Eddie Garrison. NBA playoffs still going strong. We'll have an in-depth conversation on that with Matt Moore of the Action Network. Going to join us here at the top of the hour, Tony East, the local angle, and get his thoughts on the playoffs as they have unfolded at 2.30. But a value bet that I'm excited to discuss with Matt at some point in time, it goes back to our original conversation with the Lakers taking a commanding 3-1 series lead as things shift back to... Golden State, you can currently get them plus 380 to win in seven. That's the Golden State Warriors. Minus 500 for the Lakers as things stand. This is a team that, joking aside, and again, I, I know it's it's morbid, but yeah, I, I need to see the body before I'm willing to believe that the <laughs> Western Conference killer and the Golden State Warriors are on the map. So I ask both of you, it's now plus 380, so you're giving up a little bit of what you could add last night is whether it's a novelty bet or not. Some people have cashed in on that. You playing anything on Golden State, regardless if you're a betting man or not, does, does that intrigue you knowing that you would be getting that type of value on this dynasty of the Warriors, even though they're on the ropes and they've looked like a shell of themselves at times during this playoff, during this edition of the playoffs, rather? Yeah, I think so. I think if you place any bets on the Warriors, you're just betting on Steph Curry and his greatness, which isn't a bad bet. I mean, you could say, does he have enough to lift them? But I look at the short list of superstars in the NBA who were in their prime, like prime LeBron, I would bet could like do some things that other people just couldn't do to swing a series. He did it here against the Indiana Pacers, who I believe were just a better team overall. They just had the better player on the Cavs. Steph is in that same tier right now to me where you just trust that if there's anybody who can just defy the odds, it's him. Um, others throughout the years, you had, you know, Giannis, KD. But I do think that, um, again, you can bet on Steph and feel – not I don't say comfortable about it because you're still down 3-1, but you feel like you have a puncher's chance of it actually happening because he can really uh, you know carry a team. Eddie, you have mentioned throughout this playoff run, the Lakers side of things, that mm-hmm. the age has clearly been present, at least with LeBron, and even if age isn't present with Anthony Davis, they've looked exhausted with the minutes they're logging. Mm-hmm. Maybe you can make the same argument the Warriors do as well, but from your standpoint, is, is there value there, even with the 3-1 deficit? To me, you're really banking on the Warriors, or what you're really betting against is L.A. to lose game six. Yeah. And I don't know what the odds would be on the Warriors in that game because you would have to expect them to be favorites in game five and in game seven since they're back at home. And Right. So really, if you could get, I mean, realistically, yeah, those are good odds. But like, if you could get even better odds on, let's say, like a Lakers money line on one of those two games that's at Oracle, I think it's Oracle, uh, or even decent odds for Game Six, like yeah. But I don't know. It's just a hard game to play with that because I mean, it is LeBron, it is Anthony Davis, and even if they have an off Game Five, more than likely they'll come back and have a good Game Six. 
and the Warriors have struggled on the road throughout the entire course of the season, and it's kind of really showing up on who we are, we are who we who they thought they were right <laughs> in this series. Uh, conversely, if you wanted to take Lakers in seven, which they have all kinds of different props, like any angle. Last night it was like plus 650 or plus 750. So again, why that is so high is because you would be assuming the Lakers are going to drop two straight and then they're able to pick themselves back off the mat in that simulation and win game seven on the road uh, since me and Eddie go back and forth with another. It, it's the Chase Center now, I think, is the, the secondary yep, term since yep, they've yep. moved. Uh, but it was Oracle, Oracle and you know, in, in our hearts it'll always be Oracle. Even like Staples a different and building. AKA Crypto. But yes, yes. Oh man, as a writer, you got to remember the different <laughs> names. Whenever I was on the road for the Pacers, I would have to Google the different arenas because you have to make sure you get the actual name right in your story. But yeah, there are a few times where I'm like, wait a second, this arena, as I recall, is not called this anymore. I mean, even the Phoenix Suns, like the Footprint Center now, they've changed their name, no joke, probably like three or four times in the last decade. And so, yeah, that was uh, rule number one when I got to an arena is making sure that I'm in the arena. I say I am. Them in Sacramento. And then uh, Miami, of course, their own beat writers had to probably go through that this year because they switched names. I can't remember what they went from to what they are, but I know about halfway or three-quarters of the way through the season, they lost their – their, the the stadium sponsor, mm-hmm. uh, and then they had to get a new sponsor. It's a whole nother yeah. can of worms to open up that we don't have time for regarding the uh, <laughs> uh, 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 crypto action, and that's uh, again a whole other whole other can of worms we don't have time to dive into. But perhaps maybe we get to it the two forty five hour for really think or two forty five segment for really thinking about old stadium names. <laughs> but but next we go back to the NBA playoffs. We'll find out from Matt Moore the Action Network if there's real value there with taking the Warriors in seven and overall his thoughts in the NBA playoffs to this point, Matt Moore Action Network here on the Fan Midday Show when we come back. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Back here in the drivehubler.com studio, you're listening to 93.5, 107.5, The Fan. James Boyd, that is me. Jimmy Cooks, that is him. We also have Matt Moore on the line from the Action Network. Matt, my first question to you is, are the Warriors dead? Will they, will they resurrect themselves <laughs> in this series, or are they, you know, finally, finally, the king has fallen? <laughs> I think finally... Finally, the run run is over. Um, I think when you look at the how the series has gone, how the playoffs have gone, how the season has gone, the Warriors won so often just with their margin for error, right? Like mm-hmm. they always, if the bench was struggling, well, the starters are going to hit a bunch of threes, and if the if the three pointers aren't falling, their defense is elite. There's really nothing elite about this team right now. Um, Steph's still amazing, even though he struggled last night overall, but he doesn't have the better team right now. And Draymond, it's very inconsistent. Clay Thompson's even more inconsistent, and the bench is a disaster. And so, you know, they can't win on the road. There's all these things that have stacked up against them. It's taken a million cuts to finally fell the beast, but I do think that the Warriors are going to be done in this series. Matt Moore with us of the Action Network. You can follow him on Twitter at HP Basketball, one of our favorite NBA follows throughout the entire year, not just right now during playoffs. But to that same question, Matt, all that being said, it was plus 400 last night. It's plus 380 <laughs> now. What's the value meter say about Warriors and seven? 
I, I have a hard time getting there, to be honest with you. I just think that um, I, I, the biggest thing I think from last night that I, I really kind of take away is the first time I've really ever seen the Warriors look like they know that they're just kind of outmatched here. Like they know they don't have the horses and that's a real problem. Um, you know, it, they're having to get so much, there's so much that has to go right for the Warriors where before it always felt like there was so much that could go right for the Warriors. And instead it's like, no, no, like you're going to have to play elite defense and you're going to have to find the right rotations. Like think about this, like Steve Kerr is, has mixed up his starting lineup twice in four games. That's a crazy amount of adjustment within the context of the series. So I think if we look at like the value as far as like how this is looking at, if you want to go that way, go the whole way. Like if you want to bet Warriors in seven, bet Warriors to win the title. Get even better on value on it now. Don't stop there. <laughs> don't don't stop at Warriors in seven. Go ahead and bet them to win the title. If they get out of this, then they're once again unkillable. But I I think that there's probably not a lot of value to be found on them at this point. So my last one about the Warriors is, in particular, Jordan Poole. You know, he was a guy they invested in. They expected to really take another step this season, along with the other young guys. And maybe to a broader point, do you think the Warriors may have gambled and wrongly gambled on youth rather than, you know, retaining some of the veteran presences they had last year that helped them win, you know, the title? A hundred percent. I mean, I think that, people tend to overlook contributions from the role players. So just like, oh, those are just guys. But like, look, last season, Nemanja Bielitsa had big moments in the playoffs for them. Otto Porter started for them and had big moments in the playoffs for them. Uh, they got contributions from multiple guys. And the young guys simply have not been been ready to contribute or Kerr has not felt like they are ready to contribute. If you look at you know, like they needed Jonathan Kaminga to be a bigger part of their team, mm-hmm. and he just hasn't been. You know, uh, Moses Moody, I think, actually played really great last night. I think he was, he has been a, a positive contributor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they traded back for Gary Payton, who hasn't been healthy and doesn't look like the same kind of guy. And he had a good game last night. But like in general, I, I just, I'm not sure that they have. They have banked a lot on internal, you know, and obviously James Wiseman was a huge miss for them. Yeah. So they just haven't gotten the guys. They don't have the guys, which is the first time we've ever seen that in this Warriors run. Matt, last question on my end from Lakers Warriors. We know, and you know very well, how narratives will be shifted or changed by just a bounce of the basketball here or there. Anthony Davis has been, whether it's on Inside the NBA or, or nationally, panned for the up and down roller coaster that's happened at times, particularly during this playoff run. Has 21 points last night in the first half, finishes the game with 23. How much of the passiveness of the way the offense was rolling, obviously they won, so it doesn't matter, but how much of that in particular in game four was, in your mind, by design and, and more of perplexing why they didn't try to go to him more often down the stretch? You know, I, I think uh, the Warriors have done a lot to try and bring help in those situations, but some of this is just they're not very disciplined with it, and you know, honestly, AD doesn't demand the ball. Like, he doesn't really make it a huge priority the way that you might expect it to, and the Lakers don't make it an issue for themselves either. And so in those situations, um, I'm not surprised. Like, look, Davis is going to be inconsistent. Like Davis will always kind of be inconsistent. That's who he's going to be. They can win a title with it, but I don't think if we're, if there's any reason to suspect that he's going to suddenly change in terms of being an inconsistent player that goes game to game from monster performances to eh. And I think that's going to be how it's going to go, but the, the key is that the Lakers are deep enough and well-coached enough and have enough defensive uh, capability 
to where they don't need that from him every night. So got a couple game fives coming up tonight. I'll start with the night cap, which is, you know, Suns at Nuggets. Have you ever seen a stretch like this that Devin Booker is on? Because I'm trying to rack my brain of it. And I'm only 27. I didn't see Michael Jordan in his prime. But the list that he's on are like Michael Jordan lists. Yeah. Uh, so the best scoring performances I've ever seen in person was obviously like I was at game six for Clay in 2016. That's the best like scoring shooting performance in a huge spot that I've ever seen. Devin Booker's like mid range Clay game six, Clay Thompson every game. Like every game he's like that. Yes. It's absolutely incredible. Uh, the efficiency, the efficiency is just out of this world. He just does not miss. And some of these are really well contested shots, and he is just absolutely hitting them. It's been an incredible postseason for him. Uh, he's also he's not one dimensional. Like, he's mm-hmm. making the right passes. He's doing all the things that make his team better. He's defending. Like he has done absolutely everything for the Suns, and they would be doomed without him. So it's you know it's one thing. Sometimes these numbers are not reflective of how the game went, or. You know, there could have been other things or took too many shots. No, like every shot has been a a good shot for him. He has made them all, and he's made the right play in key situations while defending. This is best player in the league stuff from Devin Booker. Matt Moore with us of the Action Network. You can follow him on Twitter at HP Basketball. Matt, you're obviously based out there in Colorado. The Nuggets throughout time, but in particular during the era of the Joker, it feels like are still viewed as an afterthought, still viewed as, okay, we want to see you do it before we're finally going to believe in you. What's the vibes out there in Denver with this series tied to two games apiece? I think there's still a high level of confidence uh, from the team itself and I think from the fan base because it has taken Booker playing at this level and there is an idea of, well, you know, he can't do this forever. I'm, I'm not sure. I'm kind of like, well, let's see him not do it before we say that Devin Booker's not going to do it. And um, and even if you know he doesn't, you got a guy named Kevin Durant over there who's also pretty good. So, but I will say, like, look, despite all of that, the Nuggets had chances. They could have won games three and four despite incredible performances. Those games just weren't far enough apart. Like those should have been really with, especially game three, that should have been like a blowout win for the Suns. And the fact that it wasn't. I do think kind of gives a lot of credence to the idea that the Nuggets are better, but they're going to have to make the shots and they're going to have to make the plays and they're going to have to be incredible and get enough offense and figure out, I guess, something on defense, whether it's just taking away Landry Shamit or just getting role players to shoot better at home. This is a game on the margins now because you've got Joker playing at an all-time level. You've got Booker playing at an all-time level, and it's going to come down to the role players. Uh, the Nuggets have home court. That leans in their favor. But I think the series is razor razor thin. So in the East, we know Miami's in the driver's seat. I'd expect him to, them to close this series out in five or six games. They just look like the better team, period. But for the other Eastern Conference series, you know, 2-2, what do you think has hindered Boston, specifically down the stretch in some of these games? Because to me – They were in the finals last year. You're supposed to have been through some of these aches and pains, but it seems like they really are having a hard time, even to a degree with the Atlanta Hawks, of just closing out games and series. Yeah, and the the real problem for Boston is Boston. (laughs) Honestly, game one. Look, the series is 2-2. 
because of the Boston Celtics. And it's not, I'm not trying to take away from what James Harden did. He was incredible. Mm-hmm. PJ Tucker is such like a huge part, like that addition. Like every team should want PJ Tucker. He should be the most sought after free agent because he helped <laughs> you win. Uh, but I'll just say this like, they obviously have a letdown spot in game one without Embiid. Uh, game four, they have, they're up six late. They have every opportunity to win that game. And they simply don't execute. And they do this where late in games, they get away from themselves. They don't have a disciplined game plan because a lot of this is that if you look around the league, you know, it's a late game situation. What are most teams going to run? Pick and roll. They're just going to run pick and roll. It's just going to be like, all right, let's just get pick and roll and we'll run some sequences and get our best guy the ball in space and make a read. Mm-hmm. The Celtics don't play that way. That's not how they're designed. They run the fewest pick and rolls, I think, bottom five in the league. So they don't do that. So a lot of this is their offense that looks so awesome at times can completely melt and they get away from themselves. And then they make, you know, dumb mistakes like doubling off of James Harden in the corner uh, on Embiid in a two-point game. Just a terrible mistake by Jalen Brown that he admitted to. They they do not have a collective wherewithal that is very high. And that's going to continue to cost them in the playoffs. The question is, again, we talked about the Warriors and margin for error. Celtics margin for error is very high because of their overall talent level and mm-hmm. their capability possession to possession. If they can just manage to not to avoid these situations enough, they'll be fine. I think they win the series, but it's not going to be and it's never going to be easy for the Boston Celtics. How havocky or just bizarre a world would it be if it's a Miami Philadelphia Eastern Conference Finals? Whew. Uh, I mean, it'd be absolutely crazy just because you're you're talking about an eight seed versus a team with Doc Rivers, James Harden, Joel Embiid. Like that's that's absolutely crazy. Um, I don't know if I could bet Heat fast enough in that series to be perfectly honest with you, just based off of the history. If you look back, Joel Embiid's record versus Bam Adebayo is not good, and that doesn't make a lot of sense because Bam is so undersized in those mm-hmm. spots. But uh, it would be it would be uh, I, I would be very excited to bet the Heat who would have to be massive dogs in that situation. If the Sixers advance, again, it's because the Boston Celtics melted down. I don't think it's because the Sixers are better. They're a really good team, but I do think that they just don't have the coaching advantage alone in that matchup is enough for me to lean heat. For Jimmy in particular with Miami, how do you think he galvanizes that team? Because, again, talked about it with Jimmy earlier. Teams will say, or people will say, oh, well, they beat Milwaukee because they were hurt. And I'm like, wait a second. Tyler Hero broke his hand. He's not there right now. And for whatever reason, they just feel like a team that has a chance. And I wouldn't feel that way if they didn't have Jimmy B. Yeah, and when you got a guy like that, the biggest thing that players will say is that you feel like no matter what, we're going to have a chance because of what this guy is doing. Like it's, it's incredible leadership from the perspective of, of leading by example, which is it gives you that confidence to make plays. It gives you that confidence to do the right thing. We talked about Booker and his passing. Butler's the same deal where it's like he's willing to distribute. It's not just scoring. You know, it's, it's scoring and defense and passing and rebounding. It's whatever that team needs on any given night. And they're shorthanded right now. Not just Hero, but Victor Oladipo. They're down ball handlers. Kyle Lowry's having to come off the bench. You know, that was their big marquee free agency signing, and they're just finding a way. Now, I will say, like, I think the Bucks series, there's a lot of context to that and how that happened, and they're facing a Knicks team that I honestly don't think belong here. I just don't think they're a second-round team. Mm-hmm. But the, this is what you do, right? It's like you find the window, and you take advantage of it. How many teams have had great opportunities and blown it before? And so the Heat are the opposite. Where they, If you give them an opportunity, they are absolutely just going to bull rush through you because – 
Butler's tenacity, intensity, and, and his talent enables them to do so. Matt Moore with us here on The Fan. Matt, shifting locally for a second, you know, we, we can debate how far away the Pacers may or may not be. They're, they're still, whether it's Tyrese Halliburton or not, in search of that superstar that can carry the day for you. And they're still in search of, obviously, a playoff berth. When you look at what happened in the Eastern Conference this year, is it just an anomaly that Milwaukee fell apart and they feel they've corrected that by showing Bud the door? Or is there a real area for optimism for a team like the Pacers where, look at what the Knicks did, look at what Miami did. If we squeak in or we make the playoffs, we're giving ourselves an opportunity within this conference. I mean, look, step one's a lottery, right? Like that's, that's step one. Like I've, I've said, can, I'll say this, like, you know, I've said the, the number one team the NBA should root against getting Wembenyama is the Pacers, in my opinion. That's the number one. If you put Hallie next to Wemby, Oh my God! Like Speaking into existence, Matt. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that, that changes absolutely everything, and that's a contender for the next decade. But you know, beyond that, that's going to be I think, the challenging part for the Pacers. Is I do think that, that we're entering into a a real era of um, of parity, and we saw that this year. I I think there's a good chance that things are going to be drastically different with Milwaukee. You know, that opens things up in the division. We'll see what what Cleveland does. Obviously, a disappointing exit for them. But like, there's sometimes there are these gaps, and a team steps in and fills it with dominance. But it doesn't feel like there's a team well positioned to do that. So there is an opportunity here, but it's going to take you know, obviously like there's a lot of steps the Patriots have to go through to get there, unless they get Wembenyama. Like this is really what it comes down to. And other than that, I think like they can definitely get themselves in a playoff contention and then have an opening. And if there are more upsets that we see in future years. I think having a guy like Halbert and having Miles Turner and having the guys that they have gives them an opportunity, but it's going to have to start with time to start building, getting some guys that can defend, you know, focusing in on that side. It depends on what timeline the Pacers feel like they're on. That's going to be the big question for them over the next three years. Last question on my end, Matt. It's kind of a two-parter. A, is there anything you like tonight, whether it's a player prop or an individual bet? And B, are you holding any future bets currently or are there any future bets that – fans or, or betters alike should jump on with how these NBA playoffs are unfolding. Yeah, I mean, I've, uh, I like the Suns tonight, actually. I like the Suns on the money line. I think they're actually going to win this game. I think that the Nuggets don't have as many adjustments that they can run out. And while I think there is this idea of like, well, things will regress, I, I've seen them just not. I've just seen things in playoff series <laughs> where things just don't regress. And you know, something that can be on the other side, too. If the, if the Nuggets shoot a little worse, like they have kind of slowly started to, I think there's an opportunity there for Phoenix. Um, I think there's probably some opportunity for Boston-Phoenix finals matchup. You can get that at a pretty long number. That, to me, would probably be the best value, just based off of even the Lakers, with as good as they are, would probably have trouble slowing down Durant and Booker, as opposed to the motion offense of the Warriors. Um, defense is an issue, but I think the Suns have more firepower. It'd be an interesting series. Or if you go, like, honestly, Lakers-Celtics, it's such a classic rivalry. It just seems <laughs> to always kind of pop up. I'll say this, uh, since 2000, if you just blindly bet on the Lakers to win the title, you would be up. They're the only team you can say that about. Since 2000, you just bet the Lakers to win the title, and you would be up overall for preseason futures. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. Matt, uh, like we mentioned, we can follow you on Twitter at HP Basketball. Got you at the Action Network, hosting a podcast over there, as well as Locked on NBA and Locked on Nuggets. Always appreciate your work, and thank you again for making time for us. Thanks for having me, guys. Take care. It's Matt Moore, and you can follow him on Twitter at HP Basketball.
he, he's right in one regard, in a couple different areas there, but in terms of that local angle, it is going to be a conversation of opportunity, not just this offseason, but the entirety of next year for the Pacers. Because on the one hand, he is correct that <laughs> all we can do is have a seance, a candle ritual, some prayers, whatever it is you want to do to try to speak into existence. Women Yama coming here via the Pacers winning the lottery. But the other aspect is if that doesn't happen, which the odds will show you it's likely not going to happen. If that doesn't happen, you're in a window of not necessarily pressure on the franchise, but a golden opportunity to dictate the terms of where the Eastern Conference goes if Matt is right that we're starting to creep into an area of parity. Now, you say the NFL is quick turnover. You and I have seen it in the NBA in an offseason. You can flip the script and suddenly be at the top of the conference. Look at Sacramento just this past year. Again, I know they had an early first-round exit, but in terms of what they were able to do in the regular season, change the course of how people view the Kings in this modern NBA, it happens quick. And if you don't jump through your window of opportunity, you're going to be left behind in the East and looked at like the Knicks are right now, which is, do they really belong here? Yeah, it's you don't want to get stuck in that no-man's land where you're good enough to get there, but not good enough to actually be believed to go beyond that. And I'm not even saying belief from the public. I mean belief internally. I don't think the Knicks believe that they're a championship-caliber team. I don't think they believe that they can win this series. I mean, you heard Julius Randle last night, and I think someone asked about loose balls or something like that, and he's like, well, maybe they just want it more than us. I'm like, what? <laughs> Why would you say that publicly, even if that is true? But that can't go over well in the locker room, you know, right? And that's supposed to be one of your team leaders, a guy right. who, whether you feel whatever type of way you feel, you go out there and you say the right things to make sure that you're not fracturing your locker room even more. So um, that's a big deal, and I think that, from a leadership standpoint, the Pacers have that, but obviously you need that star power. And I mean, you all know this. I don't have to tell any area listeners this, but it's harder to get superstar caliber players in smaller markets. And maybe that does change with some of the parity in the league, and maybe that does change with the draft lottery. But the fact remains that during free agency, if I'm a player in the NBA and I want to make a lot of money playing basketball, I'm looking at Miami, I'm looking at LA, I'm looking at, you know, places where the weather's nice, the taxes are maybe a little bit different down in Florida, Texas, things like that, as opposed to smaller market teams. Right. And so I think Halliburton is a, definitely a great attraction. He could help you. I mean, from a purely basketball standpoint, I would love to play with him because you know if you run, you're going to get the ball, you're going to get, you know, easy shots. However, it's very hard to, you know, be a Cleveland or Milwaukee and not have a superstar and be relevant. I mean, like I said before, Cleveland landed LeBron. That's a great, obviously, pickup for your franchise. And he went back there because he was from there. Right. And then with Giannis, people didn't really know he was going to be Giannis Antetokounmpo back then. You know, there was a lot of upside. And the conversations followed him as whether or not he was actually going to stay in Milwaukee. There was a long talk yes. about, about when he officially put pen to paper of, is he going to take the road of, of greener pastures and, and, and more exotic markets that are available in the league? And he didn't. He stayed. Exactly. And I think that's a problem that, um, Pacers fans would welcome, you know, get the superstar first and <laughs> yeah, worry about keeping right, them later. Right. But uh, and it's and it it is a pain that they felt before. Mm -hmm. You know, you draft Paul George, oh. he gets to the Eastern Conference Finals. You know, he plays well. He's a, he's looked at as a star in this league. James, he's not in the video montage. 
He's not like, look, and I get it. I understand why, to be clear, to get out in front of this right now. I totally understand why he's not. And I don't fault the Pacers for not including him. But you have the lead up to tip off and you have the entire outline of the history of the franchise. And the glimmer that you get there is Roy Hibbert. And again, like, love Roy Hibbert. It is what it is, but he's erased. He's erased, and rightfully so, with the way things ended. But yes, you're right. There are real wounds there. Look at Eddie. Eddie's just looking and shaking his head because he knows that Jimmy's just walking himself further down into this hole. So for those of you listening, if you want to bring your pitchforks up here, make sure you aim them at Jimmy and not me. Um. I'm not saying to do it. I'm just saying it's, it, it's, it's obvious. Everyone knows it's not an elephant in the room. Like Everybody is aware of the risk with that. But you're right. It doesn't mean you don't draft the guy. It's just there is. There's, yeah. there's a sour taste in the fan base, and there will always be until they get into this new era of playoff contention. There'll always be that fear in the back of people's minds yeah. of, is this guy going to leave? Yeah, but the bottom line is, like I said, it's really hard to attract superstars to the smaller markets. And so you're hoping that you can draft one, have a homegrown one, and have one that the city, the environment, what you're building means more to them plus the Supermax, you know, I keep saying this with Giannis and other players, it's hard to leave an extra $50 million on the table. Um, so that's always a factor too. But again, you want to be able to build something that's homegrown and that doesn't, um, you know, lend itself to looking like, okay, this is all it's ever going to be. Um, you know, obviously it's really cool when these small market teams can kind of get in the mix of it and compete against those top dogs. And I do think it also means more when you have the success and when you just haven't had it and you're not one of the quote-unquote like blue blood NBA franchises where um, you've had all this history and winning and pedigree. I mean, for the Pacers, it's, a lot of it has been hard nose. You know, some tough playoff outs and obviously the the golden years with Reggie Miller when he got right. him there. And I would argue that the way he went about it and not winning a championship is more respected than, you know, some other, you know, NBA journeys and things like that because he did it here and he tried to do it in a market where it wasn't as easy. I know Reggie said, I believe last year that when he, when he retired, he got a call from the Celtics, yes, I believe. Yes, about to bring that up, yes. Yeah, and they yep. were saying, hey, you know, come play for us. And could he have gone over there and made a couple shots and won a championship? Probably. But it meant for meant more to him to do it here and have the opportunity to do it here. And so, um, like I said, I'm excited for the NBA draft um, lottery to see what pick the, the Pacers get. And then One once week. we find out... Well, if it's Wimby, you know. No, no, no. One week, one week. To oh, potentially I thought you said Wimby. One, oh, uh, Wimby in one week. Let's just let's just leave it at there. Let's get a know? sign and t-shirts up. There you let's go, go. Man. One week to Wimby. Let's roll. I mean, you just, you needed the ball to bounce your way yeah. in a sense, and then you also need to just hit on someone because yeah, even if you don't win the lottery, which again, overwhelming odds you won't. There's still enough talent within this draft. You're right. You have to land and hit on something. You want to hit on somebody. And last point I'll make about that is. You know, people often look back and try to change the narrative around certain players. But, you know, Stephen Curry was the seventh pick in the draft. Like no one not thought he was going to be the greatest shooter ever. Otherwise, he would have went number one. Giannis was number 15. You thought that he was going to be, you know, if you thought he was going to be who he is now, you would have drafted him number one. Damian Lillard was number six. Jokic was the second round pick. Exactly. So, I mean. That's he's the ultimate outlier, <laughs> right. but I do think there's talent in the lottery, and um, you know you just got to really vet those prospects when you find out where you're going to be picking. Trusted, you know your scouting department will do that, and um, you you hope that you can land someone who could be here for years and years and years to come, and can help you take that leap and grow together. And the best thing about what the Pacers are doing is that again their timeline is set up for that. The only way for a small market team to be able to have a shot in the free agent sweepstakes is to build it organically through the draft. That's where it starts. 
that's ultimately where it ends in terms of what your franchise building will allow you to do in any given championship window. Pacers are hoping to be able to do that once again by the time the draft arrives in June. Speaking of the Pacers, Tony East, Locked On Pacers, Sports Illustrated, going to join us in just a second, get his thoughts on Benedict Mather and making an All-NBA rookie first team, and we'll get a, a tease, a taste perhaps, of if he's started to look at any mock draft boards with the lottery just a week away. Tony East, around the corner here on The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Back here in the DriveHubler.com studio, you're listening to 107.5, 93.5, The Fan. I'm James Boyd. Jimmy Cooks is to my left. Eddie Garrison is in front of me, very handsome. And we also have another handsome young man on the line, Tony East. He covered the Pacers for Sports Illustrated, Forbes, WTHR, Locked On Pacers, covers the fever for the next hoops. He has a lot of titles. He's also an IU grad, so I don't really like him like that. But um, <laughs> Don't come after my boy like that. Come on no, now. no, no. It's all love. I learned my lesson. Trust me. I've learned my lesson. <laughs> I've seen the IU Illinois mentions <laughs> exactly. over at Romeoville Kid. <laughs> <laughs> but, Tony, how you doing? And um, my first question is, why did you vote for Tyrese Halliburton first team all defense? <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing good. And, James, I have I am stunned that Tyrese Halliburton got an all defense vote, even though he is a very smart defensive player. <laughs> <laughs> that, that undercut... My, my side question, which is going to be more surprising, the Lonnie, Lonnie Walker game or <laughs> the all-defensive team vote there? <laughs> yeah, I don't. Uh, I didn't think any Pacers would get a vote, so I went to check, and I just gravitated to centers because I thought maybe Turner would get one or two. Uh, but honestly, I still might say the Lonnie Walker game, given how, how crazy his fourth quarter was last night. My goodness. Oh my goodness! Well, I feel like Tony's just covering for himself because he absolutely put that vote in people. <laughs> that was him. That was him. Um, but in all seriousness, what are your thoughts on where the Pacers are as they head into this offseason? Knowing you know you have your franchise leader in place with Tyrese Halliburton, you have a piece that looked really good throughout his rookie season and Benedict Matherin, and obviously you're trying to add another piece here with the draft lottery coming up in a week. Yeah, I think they feel good about where they are. You know, Kevin Pritchard alluded to it both right after they extended Miles Turner and, again, at his end-of-season presser. Like, he was surprised at how he was talking about the team in January. And in April, he said, you know, yeah, we kind of have to think about speeding up our timeline because we have all those core pieces already. But, you know, you only speed up your timeline when you feel good about where you are. So I think they have to feel good about the start of their rebuild the first year and a half since they made all those moves last February with, you know, the Sabonis trade and – and they'll avert trade, all of that sort of thing. But now I think also they're watching the postseason and seeing how badly they really need these forwards, right? They know it. Kevin Pritchard was asked what position they need the most. He talked about these forwards, these wings, these hybrids, as he called them, right? They need them so desperate. Like part of the Suns' big adjustment in their series was just switching which wings they play because they have so many, and they throw T.J. Warren and Terrence Ross in there, and they win two games, right? Like, Mm -hmm. they have so many of those wings that it's helpful for them, and the Pacers need so much depth at that position if they want to be competing with the teams like that. Tony East taking some time with us here on The Fan. New handle for him, at Tony R. East. You can follow him on Twitter. Same great content. Tony when you look at the all-NBA or all-rookie NBA list, obviously we'll, we'll get to Ben Mather in a second, but were you surprised that Andrew Nemhard didn't squeak on that list? Absolutely was. I, I thought he you know, was 
the top maybe six or seven best rookies this season. Honestly, I mean, he's maybe the best defending perimeter rookie in the whole class. You know, Walker Kessler, of course, takes the best defensive rookie in general. Um, and that, that, of course, impressive 63 starts for this Pacers team and showed a lot of roles, right? Was really good off the ball playing next to Halliburton, was really good on the ball closing the season and kind of figured out how aggressive he needed to be, right? That big halftime adjustment in Milwaukee that he took in stride and was great the rest of the season. I thought for sure he had a shot. He was second among all rookies in assists. Like his scoring and rebounding are kind of middle of the pack for his draft class. But you know, he made the, the Rising Stars game. He did. He did play well on both ends. I thought he was almost not quite a lock, but pretty close to a lock to being one of the you know the ten best rookies on one of these teams. And he he got the tenth most votes, but Tari Eason with two first place votes ends up getting him more voting points, which is extremely confusing to explain. Um, so I, I was really surprised he didn't make it. I thought he was Rick Carlisle even called a number of the top ten pick during the season. So I think that the Pacers also thought he was one of the ten best rookies and should have made it. But such is life sometimes with these second round pick well i mean when you make a buzzer beater over lebron in la i think that should automatically put you on the list um for you know all nba yeah, rookie right, the warriors game right after that too where he out steph and like the undermanned pacers beat the warriors on the road like that was a huge win for the team and like his coming out party right after that buzzer beater that was a huge week for him and that even that wasn't enough yeah, I think, you know, jokes aside, he is a vital part of their future. And in talking about their future, one guy who I had the pleasure of covering last year, had a really good rookie season, was Chris Duarte. The sophomore season, not so much. What do you think of his future with this team? And, and is that someone who could potentially be moved, just considering how um, maybe he was not frozen out of the rotation, but just never really found his footing with Benedict Mather coming on board? Yeah, the never found his footing is the perfect way to put it, right? Like early in the season, he started for a little bit, and that wasn't perfect. They tried him off the bench a little bit, and finally he found that groove with that, you know, 30-point game in Brooklyn where he was lights out and immediately gets hurt, right? Mm -hmm. And so for six weeks, this new-look team is building chemistry and figuring out that they're really good when they play fast, and they got up to, I forget what their peak was, fourth or fifth in the East during that stretch, right, without him and all these guys figuring out their roles was, and he couldn't quite do that. He didn't have that opportunity, then he came back and looked good for a little bit and then had that terrible stretch where he missed 20-something shots in a row, and then the ankle was bugging him again. Like, he just never had the same chances to show what he could do. But I also think stylistically, right, I just alluded to this, when the team figured out how good they are playing fast in that November-December stretch, like, mm -hmm. I think the way Chris Duarte plays, a little slower, more methodical, right, fit really well with the Sabonis and Brogdon Pacers team. He's not as well-suited to this style, or at least didn't adjust to it as well as some other guys did, so... If he is back next year, I think that's going to be a big part of his season is learning to, to speed things up a little bit or, you know, be a part of this Halliburton-led random action fast team. And if he can't, maybe he is a trade candidate, right? You remember James last year at the draft, how many teams were interested in him even after the Pacers actually picked him, right? Like, he mm -hmm. was a popular pick that year. And so maybe teams still have some of that interest in him if the Pacers are interested in seeing what – what they could get for him. But at the same time, you know, after how good his rookie season was, it might be hard for them to give up that quickly. Tony, I'm not trying to fully reset expectations for what the Pacers could be next year, but we had a conversation with Matt Moore of Action Network earlier today, and he mentioned that he does view a sense of opportunity and perhaps approaching parity within the Eastern Conference. Milwaukee will respond. Clearly, you can expect that from them. But when you look at the state of the East and you look how things have shaken up to this point in the Eastern Conference playoffs, where do you see the timeline or the area of opportunity for the Pacers as they approach this offseason? 
Yeah, it's tough to say, but you know, looking at all the East teams that are doing well, I think Boston's the only one that you could say, even if they lose the current series they're in, is like an obvious mainstay at the top of the East, right? The Bucks just fired their coach. Who knows what they're going to do next? The Heat look like they're going to the conference finals. Their whole team, besides Bam, feels like they're thirty plus. And yeah, no matter the Heat could trot out us three and we win a playoff game. But you know, <laughs> it, it seems like their timeline has to end eventually. There's all these murmurs about James Harden potentially going back to the Western Conference. Who knows what will happen with Philly? Right? All these teams, the, the Knicks and the Cavs are, are good, but you know, who knows how good they'll actually be? Like, there, there's no real non-Boston force near the top of the conference right this second. So. Sure, there's going to be other ascending teams that are even around the Pacers right this second, but it almost feels like the next two years is sort of an opportunity to make some sort of wave and noise if you can be good enough that fast. But at the same time, the Pacers are so early in this team-building process. Like, going for it too early can be problematic. So, yeah, the East is in a weird spot with all these, the current top of the, the conference potentially maybe pivoting or becoming weakened in the next two, three years. But, you know, there'll be some ascending teams, and Boston's still going to be a force that whole time with, with Tatum and Brown on that team. Even Brown might be on the move at some point. I don't know. It's hard to say if there's any real mainstays at the top of the East right now. So I would be remiss if I didn't ask about the Indiana Fever getting Aaliyah Boston in town. Oh. Everyone knew. She was kind of like the Wimby of the, the draft lottery. Like you just knew whoever got the number one pick, that's where she was going. What are your first impressions of having her in town along with Grace Berger and, and the other rookies in that class? Yeah, I th- thankfully someone who was uh, in the crowd for the – Fever Sky preseason game in Chicago uploaded some footage of the game to YouTube so I could see it because the preseason games are televised. But there, I mean, there's a chance Aaliyah Boston is the Fever's best player, like, right now. <laughs> right right this second, like, day one. She's that talented. She's that, you know, tactically gifted. She's so smart and heady, and her timing is amazing. And the, pa- the Pacers, excuse me, the Fever have been last in defensive rating three straight seasons, that streak only broken by being 11th out of 12 teams four years ago, right? They really need defensive help, and Boston is certainly that on the end of four. Her positioning is amazing. Like She's exactly what they need, and could really help this team finally get out of the WNBA basement. Berger is very tenacious, really like fits in stylistically with the way Christy Sides wants to play. Her positional versatility is great. Like They love their draft class. They love the way they're trending with a little more shooting and, and speed. They're going to play a lot like the Pacers, fittingly enough. So I think the two rookies will help a lot with that, and there's a chance Boston is, is really good right away. Tony, this has kind of been a theme of the day. Tony East of Sports Illustrated covers the Pacers Locked on Pacers podcast. A great listen for you wherever you get your podcast. There's been a discussion of the day regarding the Warriors, the funeral vibes that are there. <laughs> when you look at them down 3-1, I know you tweeted it. I, I tweeted something similar as well. You, you couldn't help yourself, not you just generally, but the masses with uh, superimposing Steph Curry's face on LeBron when he had the Undertaker shirt sitting on the side of uh, uh, the Cavs practice facility at the time. The revenge opportunity is there. Do you think this is the end of the dynasty, though, or at least the end of this iteration of it? And if they can't get anything from Jordan Poole, who they just handed a ton of money to. Like, it's, it's hard for me to imagine them finding a way to get this done. Like, they, Steph's been like, – even last night, he wasn't shooting well when he finished 12 for 30 or something mm-hmm. like that. And he was the best player on the court. Like, he still has it. And Clay's hitting, he still has it. Draymond looks great when he's, you know, playing still. Like, they, their top-end talent that made the dynasty the dynasty still looks great. After those three guys, they're like – they need Kavon Mooney to, like, shoot – make every shot he takes or Moses Mooney to go three for three to get – you know, any other production, it's because their depth is not very good and Poole can't do anything. I mean, he only played 10 minutes last night. They can't even play him more than that without him being a detriment. So 
If they can't get anything from Poole, they're just going to need Steph to be that game seven against the Kings Steph for three games. And even then, all it takes is one Anthony Davis masterpiece and you're just out. So, you know, given the way that AD's played and the, the, the way the Lakers are defending, I'm hard-pressed to say that the Warriors win the series, even though if any team is going to do it, it's them. I just It might be the end, which is crazy to think about. I mean, it's been like a significant part of my life that they've been you know, the premier team in the league. So, Tony, one thing we do know that has come to an end is the Fort Wayne Mad Ants. So, you know, they're moving over to Noblesville. Thoughts on that transition and possibly just seeing more of the, the talent on the uh, G League team up close and personal where you don't have to make that drive, you know, to go see them? Yeah, out of nowhere, kind of stunning announcement um, for this change to come to Noblesville for the Mad Ants. And two seasons from now, they're hopeful that arena's done. Uh, so next year, the Mad Ants, uh, as they'll be named for one more season before they change their name, will play all, all in Gamebridge, which is pretty nice uh, for synergy with the Pacers. I think that's what some of this is about, is just being a little bit closer to, you know, the NBA club. I think next season, the NBA said that all 30 NBA teams will have their own direct G League affiliate, so it'll be a lot easier to do those sorts of things. Uh, and, yeah, I think that's the, the big part of it is that talent can be close by. A lot of Mad Ants players live near or around Indy as is, so uh, a lot less two-and-a-half-hour drives up for games and things like that. That'll be nice for them. And, you know, the other part of this is, like, the NBA just changed its CBA, and there's a third two-way contract now, right? So three players on the Pacers that split time between the G League and the NBA now have a lot easier time, you know, practicing with the Pacers and then potentially going to the Mad Ants for games or for game reps like that synergy is really nice as well. It's great for, you know, the city of Noblesville too, to be able to have this facility and the the team right there. But obviously, you know, you got to be remiss to not talk about Fort Wayne and how big of a loss it is for them. I mean, they've they've had that team for 16 years and they they won a championship there. Like that is a really great minor league sports town. And to lose the Mad Ants, you know, just overnight, it seems, is a huge bummer for the residents up there, uh, especially with how kind of sudden this all feels that they don't even get, you know, like a send-off season next year or anything like that since it's coming to Gamebridge. So I think it's good for the Pacers part of this and, and good for fans in Noblesville, of course, but a huge bummer for the people of Fort Wayne. You got any uh, options for mascots, nicknames? <laughs> I mean, Millers, but that's like the high school thing, I guess. I'm like, I don't know. What, what, what would be your take on that? <laughs> I think JMB tweeted the slicks. I actually kind of like that. Ooh, that's know, nice. Leonard. I do like yeah, that. I think that would actually be a pretty good idea. That was my favorite of the names I've heard so far. A lot of them have been, you know, in jest or Mimi that have made me laugh. The problem, too, is, you know, if they wanted to do the blue or the gold to, to copy the Pacers branding, there's already a G League team called the blue and the gold. So they can't do either of the really easy, low-hanging fruit of color team names. So I'm not actually sure what they'll end up doing. You are right on, on one thing, though. And I, I've heard rumblings about the idea of them coming closer to town for years. I'm sure you have as well. I, I too, was, though, shocked that it happened as suddenly as they did. But, yeah, I mean, that's kind of the end game for where the NBA is headed right now. Yeah. You mentioned their initiative with the G League. They want to have them as close as possible, right? Because, of you mentioned, the ability with the call-ups there with now the the three two or the extra two-way contract and inevitable but i'm with you it, it does stink for fort wayne well and gabe york right he got that call up at the end of the season he even said like a big factor for him the season is like to come in and use the pacers facility as a member of the mad ants all the time and like that was big for the team that they had that option it was good for them practicing and he said it made him feel like more execs were watching him so he he grinded a little harder in practice but in general right like that sort of proximity stuff is is really big and you can tell a lot of g league teams are trying to be more i hate to use the word synergy it sounds so corporate but like the main red claws became the main celtics right like there's trying to be more 
this is a partnership kind of thing between these G League clubs and NBA teams, and I think that you're seeing that with the soon-to-be-no-longer-mad-ants moving closer to the Pacers. Tony, who wins it all? Oh, man. I mean, my, <laughs> my, my, my original pick was the Bucks. so what? why are you doing oh, Me too, brother. <laughs> what, what, what do I know at this stage? I mean, man, it's, the Lakers are really tempting, man. Like Their defense is phenomenal this playoffs right now. Uh, I think if you made me pick right now, I'd pick the Celtics. I don't even feel great about it. But at their best, I still feel like they have the most depth and the highest gear. Right? They very rarely have a player on the court that you know I think can't hang or isn't out there. Like with every other team, I feel like a lot of their adjustments are like changing a couple players that play or when they play. The Celtics don't have that, right? Their top eight is so rock solid. Tatum at his best is so good. They made the finals last year. They have the experience. I think I would pick them right now, but. And James Harden, all he's got in this series. So I have, I mean, I you could tell me any team basically except for the Knicks, and I'd be like, you know what? I can see it. So it's really hard for me to say who's going to win this series. The Charlotte Hornets. <laughs> okay, yes, any team that's still alive. <laughs> we are very specific and critical right here. Come on, we get we get a tight shift. <laughs> yeah, I would definitely be stunned if the Charlotte Hornets won the 2023 NBA <laughs> Tony, thank you for making the time. We'll continue to follow along all offseason and, and potentially have a conversation with you uh, depending on if mine and James' seance about when Benyama uh, comes to fruition next Tuesday night. Sounds great. Thanks for having me, guys. <laughs> That's Tony East. You can follow him on Twitter at Tony R. East. Covers the patients and the fever. Does a great job covering all aspects of basketball at the pro level here in Indiana. We're going to step aside. When we return, we'll close with some bets. Final thoughts on tonight's NBA playoff action around the corner on the fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. A little big-time Willie to end the day on the Fan Midday Show. Eddie Garrison DJing us, producing us, guiding us throughout the afternoon. With James Boyd, I'm Jimmy Cook. We promise you bets. We'll give you some bets, plus some potential confusion, maybe? around the NFL and the schedule release. But first, let's play some wagers. The Jay Cook Plays of the Day. This is me, all right? I'm not a athlete. This is my way. This is how I win. Eddie, one time I need a you never learn. Can you give me one of those? That's not hard for you. Please. We'll see. Okay. We'll see. We'll All see. Right. It's an overfest once again tonight. We're oh taking over gosh. 31 and a half for Devin Booker as the Suns take on the Denver Nuggets. I'm not going to go quite as far as Matt Moore did, even though the money line is enticing, but I am going to scoop the six here. Suns getting six tonight against the Denver Nuggets, so we'll take that in that matchup. Also going to take the Joker over 30 and a half points for Nikola Jokic tonight in that game. Switching to 76ers and the Celtics over 21 and a half for James Harden tonight. And then don't have the sound effect ready. That's my fault. Champions League action continues. Semifinals start today. We're going to take Manchester City. Tie no bet in this first leg of two in the semifinals. Uh, two, two, and one yesterday. Steph saved us with a garbage bucket late. Outside of that, we need to do better. Eddie, do you have anything <laughs> on peace of mind? This I afternoon? cannot. T- I can't say you never learn because you went with players that actually have produced <laughs> not with players that you're just oh i think he's gonna do this he, he did tell you that's the, he did tell he, you about he always AD. tries to warn me <laughs> he always try 23 points with nine minutes to go in the game 
Hey, LeBron screwed us in three ways, Jimmy. He screwed you with AD, he screwed me on his under, and he screwed me with D'Angelo Russell. And Dennis Schroeder can't make a hey, that's neither, neither little flip okay. What do you so, got? Uh, when I look at the, the Boston game, I've been circling Marcus Smart a lot because he's been aggressive offensively. He's been their third highest scorer. The point total has shifted. It was 10 or 11.5 to start this series. Now it's jumped up to 13.5. Not going to play it there. I do like Jalen Brown over 24.5. He has been uh, dynamite for lack of a better term there, uh, in this series against the Philadelphia 76ers. And then a little bit of a surprise. Uh Uh-oh. I'm going to take over 10 in the Reds-Mets game today. That's a big number. Luke Weaver's on the mound for the Cincinnati Reds. He has an ERA almost of seven. (laughs) Horrific. Max Scherzer's (laughs) playing hurt right now. He's not 100%. His velo's down. Not striking guys out because the velo's down. The Reds actually hit well when they're at home. The series is at home. I like the over 10. Plus, there's no hook there. That's minus 110 right at 10. Hey, look at you. I agree with you. You don't have to deal with the hook. It's a better world when you don't have to deal with the hook. Switching the NFL as we bounced around with the NBA and NFL today. James, it seemed like last week, oh, the schedule is going to release on Thursday. And I was like, eh, it might not release on Thursday. And then there's a push notification yesterday, 8 o'clock Thursday, schedule's coming out. And this joyride has taken another crazy turn uh, that you just saw a couple moments ago. Yeah, just got an email from the league office. They're going to have a conference call about the NFL schedule Friday afternoon for us reporters to hop on it, I guess, discuss or hear what they have to say about it. They'll have a or lot they're of going to tell you. I guess they'll just break down matchups, but you know, Eddie, you're getting too much into the weeds, man. This is what they're doing to make everything a spectacle. Now, I'm like 50-50 on joining this uh, conference call just because I'm kind of like Eddie. Like, what are you going to tell me about the schedule after you've already seen it? However, as a professional, I can tell you I will tune in. I will try to make sure I know what's going on because you never know what they might say, what things they might bring to light. And even they'll probably just discuss other initiatives they have to better um, advertise the game or get it out there more to different crowds, you know, social media and stuff like that. That's good clarification there, though. And that was my fault in thinking they were taking another change to the schedule. This will just be comments, thoughts, and reactions exactly. post-schedule release. It's not in jeopardy of changing in terms of when it will release, which is Thursday at 8 o'clock. Thursday night, I will be pounding away at my keyboard, breaking down matchups, excited to see you know when and where each game is, and obviously trying to figure out or guesstimate when Anthony Richardson is going to start. I love prop bets, and I know that this is so degenerate that there's no way it <laughs> is out there once the schedule releases, but if there's a over under on games for when Anthony Richardson actually takes the field. Again, I know I'm asking for for trouble there, but all the same, that is something that I would be very enticed by because, again, we're going to tea leave, read the tea leaves as much as we can. The first step to that in terms of the road to week one is when the schedule releases or the next step to that. Over under four and a half weeks for him <laughs> to start. Eddie, you can chime in too if you want to. Give me, the under, give me the under. I need to see the schedule. Ah, uh, right, boo. <laughs> I got but, the boo treatment earlier today. That's very fair, though. I mean, also, I also just want to see when their bye week is because it was very late last season. And could that factor in? Like, if it's an earlier type of bye season, could I mean, not bye season, bye week, yeah. could that factor into when Anthony Richardson plays? James, it's been fun having you here the last couple of days. Always good to have you, have you in the drivehuber.com studios. It's been cool, man. I'm learning on the fly. Hopefully, I got better over the last few times. And, you know, until next time. Indeed. Looking forward to hopefully having you back here in the coming weeks. Podcast will be up. Mike Chappell, Matt Moore, Tony East, search the Fan Midday Show, wherever you get your podcasts. Ride with JMV is next. Keep it right here on The Fan.